0: Just from hearing Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, you know he's a big deal. I completely fanboyed out on that name the first time I saw it, and it appears very early on, and then appears again, and again, and again. <laughs> His name is badass without being over-the-top or flashy, at least in my opinion, but we'll, as we'll see, badass is pretty accurate for him, and it might even be over-the-top not too much, though, I think. It's the kind of character that if you were to make 12 of him, it would be unrealistic. <laughs> but if you have one, you know, ever, you know, then that, that's fine. You know, it's like the, the Wayne Gretzky of knighthood or <laughs> the LeBron James of knighthood or something. I don't know. And <laughs> the name suggests he's a great warrior, just from the sound of it, which, of course, that is accurate. And Prince... Well, that tells you he's a Targaryen, given the word dragons in there. At least it implies it very strongly, but not a king, right? It says vague but strongly positive things about his personality, too, given one of the most beloved characters in A Song of Ice and Fire, Maester Aemon, is named after him. And indeed, though Maester Aemon was no warrior, we'll see that he did have a lot in common with his namesake in the personality department. Integrity, skill, and being dutiful, perhaps most of all. This was a peerless warrior who fought with a famous sword and will regale you with tales of his duels, battles, and acts of bravery, of course. But perhaps more compelling is what happened while Dark Sister was sheathed. Some of you may find his doomed love for Nares and the shadow of their brother Aegon the Unworthy to be some of the best stuff. It was a new era for House Targaryen and Westeros in general as it transitioned to a post draconic world and recovered from the damage their dancing and dying had done. But there was quite a lot of family drama and intrigue as well, and that is nothing new for House Targaryen. All this and more on today's episode of History of Westeros podcast. Hello and welcome, everyone. Back for another episode. How's it going, Sean? You are in Targaryen red and black, as am I?
1: Indeed. You know, let me, this is going to be a big topic. I don't know, if, I don't think you mentioned it yet, but this is going to end up being two episodes, yeah, right? Yeah. Like there's enough going on here. So, given that, and given my relatively unsullied perspective, I wanted to ask a couple upfront questions. Sure. I bet one, I, I imagine some of
0: the folks out there have the same questions. So, that'd be a good place to start.
1: One, the timeline is, I don't know, it's somewhere, somewhere halfway between Dance of Dragons and Robert's Rebellion? Is that? No,
0: it's much closer to the dance. Here's a way I can put it. He's in every book, even Fire and Blood, because he was born okay. right at the end of it. Like he's barely in it. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. So he was born a, a few years after the dance. So he's like a now. generation
1: after the dance, but I don't know, several generations. Yeah. Okay. So Robert Rebellion Robert's started Rebellion started in
0: about 282, 283. Eamon was born in 136. The dance ended okay. in one thirty-one. So yeah, it's, it's okay. a lot closer to that. And the Black okay. Fire Rebellion, if you want another like time like point, the first one was in one ninety-six. So that's more okay. about the halfway point, probably. Okay, actually, that that's sense. still closer to the dance, but closer to the halfway. point. <laughs> the third Black Fire Rebellion maybe is more the halfway point, or maybe the second. Anyway,
1: my follow-up is, I don't know if you had to pick two or three beats to describe this character. Why are we interested in him? Why is it a big deal? What are we going to talk about? Like. I don't know, He his expedition to Dorne, his youthful success as a warrior, one of the youngest Kingsguard ever. He had Dark Sister. Those are all good I, things. I is, yes. there, also- is there another thing, a highlight of his life that
0: we're going to cover that you think is worth noting up front? Yeah, I think basically, I, I think his... The parallels to a lot of the characters in the main mm-hmm. story are one of the big grabs here. He is compared like Loras to Loris and Jamie. Absolutely. Loras and Jamie are probably mm-hmm. the best comparisons. Probably the best comparisons. But also characters like Barristan, maybe a little bit of Arthur Dane. Just all the peerless warriors who fought in the King's Guard, mm-hmm. but also a few yeah. other Targaryens. Yeah,
2: for me it's the the Neri connection that he has yep. that makes him most intriguing, I think, is
0: which
1: was his sister. Was
3: his
2: sister is is was it romantic? Was it not? Was it? Well, I, we just don't really know what was going on there. And so it's kind of mysterious. You can kind of fill in the gaps. That's what makes him most interesting to me, I think.
0: And it's something that George introduces very early. This is another character like Thoros of Mir, where we discussed a few weeks ago that he wasn't bolted on later, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, the story grows in the telling, and it's fine to add stuff. Of course, George is good at that. But it's. Maybe a little more special when it's a character that was part of the original intent. And Prince Eamon clearly was. So yeah, as Sean mentioned, there is a lot of material here. We intended this to be one episode as usual, but Nina and I just wrote so much. A typical episode document for us is minimum 13, 14 pages. Usually quite often gets into the high teens. This one was about 34 (laughs) before we started. Yeah, this needs to be two episodes. So (laughs) pretty clearly got outside the range of one episode. And you'll see why. There is so much to talk about. It does have more of a story feel because we can cover pretty much his whole life. Yes, there are gaps. There are things we don't know. But they aren't large gaps. Maybe they're important gaps, but they aren't like large gaps of time where we just have no idea. And that's great. So shout out to our good friend, Nina. Her blog, goodqueenally.tumblr.com, is an excellent source of fun material and analysis. The latest blog post she has over there is, hey, on Prince Eamon the Dragon Knight. (laughs) Maester Eamon talking to Jon about the difference of duty and love and the the conundrum there. It's a major theme of Jon's story, but also a song of ice and fire in general. And well, Maester Eamon is... The guy that really levels John up there, teaches him a thing or two about what duty and love is and, and how he knows about it because he was a Targaryen. And well, you all know that story, the three times he was tested. So it's very relevant to today's story. A lot of Nina's thoughts are already in the episode, but if you want more, you can get it at goodqueenally.tumblr.com. This one was voted on by patrons, but it's a TTGITT episode, which is... <laughs> The tale grew in the telling. It's such a long thing. I had to abbreviate it. So T-T-Git. (laughs) T-T-Git. Next week, we'll do part two. So the episode that folks voted on for next week will actually be in two weeks. And I'll tell you what that's going to be at the end. Also at the end, I'll give you some suggestions. If you want to stay immersed, if you're having a great time in Westeros and want to stay there, well, we'll give you some suggestions on how to jump to a related topic and have fun with that. And of course, you'll want to tune in next week for part two. Trivia question. Prince Eamon was one of the youngest ever to wear the white cloak to join the Kingsguard. The same is true of Loris Tyrell and especially Jamie Lannister, because Jamie was the second youngest ever to wear the white cloak. But who was the youngest? Who was even younger than Jamie to join the Kingsguard? Even younger than Loris and Eamon as well.
1: Are you going to make people wait till next week for the answer to the <laughs> trivia no, question? We'll have the answer today.
0: And we'll have another <laughs> trivia question next week. Woohoo. <laughs> Maester Aemon is mentioned in the prologue. So the name Aemon appears, but it's Maester Aemon, not Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight. But his namesake does come. Bran II, A Game of Thrones. Here's the quote.
2: Bran was going to be a knight himself someday, one of the Kingsguard. Old man said they were the finest swords in all the realm. There were only seven of them, and they wore white armor and had no wives or children, but lived only to serve the king. Bran knew all the stories. Their names were like music to him. Sirwyn of the Mirror Shield, Ser Rhyme Redwine, Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, the twins, Ser Aric and Ser Eric. When brother fought sister in the war, the singers called the Dance of the Dragons. The White Bull, Gerald Hightower, Ser Arthur Dane, the Sword of the Morning, Barristan the
0: Bold, some of you astute readers will note that that quote was edited to remove a spoiler from House of the <laughs> Dragon for Sean's benefit. <laughs> mm, I
1: appreciate that.
0: Edit. <laughs> yeah. We've had many reasons, many times to call for that quote to be read. It's such a great quote. Over the years, it's become one of my favorite early quotes. It just encapsulates so much about Song of Ice and Fire. It's got Bran's love for the stories. It refers to it in song. He says their names are like music to him. The names themselves are awesome. I already told you how much the name Aemon the Dragonite made me fanboy out. But some of these other names here do the same thing. I mean, the Sword of the Morning, that's cool. I mean, <laughs> man, the twin, like, yeah, these are just, just a really well-written. And it's hopeful and tragic. And over, every, over time, one of the reasons the quote is, I, I love it even more, is because By reading all the books, you get backstory on all these characters. You learn who every single one of these people is. They're not just names that get thrown out and then forgotten forever, which in a lot of fantasy series, that is what would happen. You'd hear this name once or twice and be like, well, that's cool. But that's all you'd ever get, you know, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But I like this more. (laughs) I like being able to find out who those guys were. And I like knowing that I probably will. Like now when I read the next book, if George throws another name out there, I'm like, okay. I got a good chance of learning who that's gonna be. And that just makes me more excited when I, I have that sense of I know I'm gonna learn more about these characters. There they are something that I can think about and there will be payoff. Like when Ned thinks about Arthur Dane later, like that's a big deal. It turns into a huge deal. And you don't meet Arthur Dane, but the way people talk about him and think about him and with awe and the respect, I mean you that bleeds over. You get it. You're like, okay, well, everybody respected this guy. He was really special.
1: You warned me in doing research to avoid Bran and Game of Thrones. that Something might spoil me there. But uh, so I did. But aside from that, I noticed almost literally every other mention of him is among other great names from history. It's almost always like, you know, those heroes Ammon, and then they'll <laughs> just list off, you know... And he's the one that comes Ars to Dane mind. Like, or yeah. Barriss and Selmy, or whoever else, you know. May- maybe other people being listed alongside him maybe is even a better way to... Yeah, uh, that's, to
0: true. that's true, that's true. Because he has the benefit of being more recent than some of them, and also from a more famous family, which, like, helped promote his legend a little more. Not that he didn't deserve it, but that does help. <laughs> being a Targaryen, getting you get a, little, you get a little more in the history books that way, I think.
1: <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned Eric and Arakh and how their story is still still point right we're, like, we're still learning more about them yeah. right but i want to say i don't know who to be more upset with their parents or george martin for <laughs> naming
0: twins eric and Art. what the heck yeah that's mean? totally valerian <laughs> Valerian. like it's the same thing like when you see it it's it's you can clearly tell them apart but <laughs> said out loud yeah yeah george wasn't thinking about <laughs> outside of book uh, th- when by he the way
1: this stuff <laughs> y- when you see it you mean when you see their names written down but when you see the two actors on oh, screen yeah, that, they're twins they're literally you know but, yeah, you can't do anything about that. <laughs> you hear their names
0: spoken, is pretty much the same thing. You got to have the subtitles. Anyway. And, you, and you wonder, like, is the subtitles, yeah. right? Like, they could be wrong. Like, yeah. is that really, <laughs> Eric? Or... <laughs> so this story, as Ashaia alluded to, this story also involves the two siblings of Prince Ammon. This is a big part of the story, a lot of what we'll focus on. And, and though none of them are twins, in this case, those three, we'll see parallels to Jamie and Cersei, who are twins and are caught by Bran hooking up at the very end of the chapter that this quote comes in so that's all kind of nicely tied together
2: we see a parallel to them it seems currently in house of the dragon as well in my opinion i think we're seeing the aim the dragon knight dynamic with aemon helena and Aegon. like i I, I believe they're mining that Mm. for that and i think uh, you're right yeah it's a very good
0: point uh, yeah where Aemon is takes Elena more seriously and respects her, and yeah, and, and you Aegon don't know if it's not.
2: romantic or platonic, even yeah. right now, yeah, but he cares for her and respects her, I guess, just like how Aemon, I imagine, the... respected Neres and all that.
0: And Aegon is a and... drunkard who sleeps yeah. around a lot, and Aemon yeah. is the serious kind of worrier, dutiful, yeah,
1: there's there definitely and to differences. be clear, Aemon... yeah. Aemon, the Dragon Knight's other sibling, Narys, the sister, Mm -hmm. but the other sibling is Aegon, the Fourth, the Unworthy, right? Like, yes, absolutely. (laughs) But he does the big difference and someone who's a bad person, and
0: one huge difference is that Aegon the Fourth doesn't become king till he's like in his forties, whereas Aegon the Second, as we see on House of Dragon and in Fire and Blood, he becomes king much younger. Yeah, so that's a really big deal. We're going to talk about that. This parallels a lot those children and the the parallels between other Targaryens. And Bran, it ends his dreams of knighthood, of course, being caught by Jamie and Cersei, or catching Jamie and Cersei, and then them catching him, catching them. And he had been excited about meeting Sir Barristan, So it really changes his arc, changes what where his arc is, appears to be headed from the very early on. By the way, the Dragon Knight, that's his name. What would Bran's name if he had joined the Kingsguard? He would have been the first Stark to ever join the Kingsguard. That would have been a pretty big deal. And just like Aemon was the first Targaryen ever to join the Kingsguard, and I think the only one. And Stark, so what would he be? The Wolf Knight? That'd be cool. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was thinking
0: Wolf Knight for yeah, sure. Yeah. Dire Wolf Knight or something like that, yeah. That's, Wolf
2: Knight? Oh. Yeah.
0: I like that. That's a
2: unit in my game right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: I mean, it sounds cool. It should be in games. Yeah. <laughs> Dra- I, I'm, I'm for all sorts of dragon knights, lion knights, even throw in a kraken knight or two, you know? I prefer honest knights. Oh, <laughs> Get those lion knights out yeah. of here. <laughs> Dishonest lion knights. <laughs> By the same token, Prince Aemon's inclusion in that list, of course, marks him as legendary, and he's worthy of the stories. Yes, he's a Targaryen, but it wasn't, you know nepotism or anything that got him in there. It definitely helped him out in his career, but he earned it, I think. Nina says, indeed, Brand mentally places Aemon here in the first eight people he thinks of when he thinks of the Kingsguard as an institution. And one of them didn't even exist in the time of Targaryen, Sir, when the Mirror Shield was like thousands of years before. <laughs> but hey, you know, Brand's seven. He's allowed to mix this stuff up a little. And that's huge for a body which has not only existed for the better part of three centuries, but which ostensibly is supposed to represent the best of the best of Westerosi knighthood. Eamon remains at the top of the popular imagination of Westerosi chivalry more than a century after his death. And it's especially impressive that Eamon ranks so high in the mind of a child with clear recency bias. Like a kid's going to be focused on like a lot of the living ones, or they're going to really fixate on certain ones. And what a child fixates on is going to be different than you know what an adult fixates on. The things that matter to a child is going to, you know, we care about different things when we're a kid. You know, that's, that's how it works, Right. But still, Eamon stands out even to seven-year-old Bran among so many big names. We like to mention when a character is first brought up in the story, the whole purpose of this first mention section that we don't always do because it's not always relevant or important, but especially with a character, we like to do that because it anchors ourselves to the story. We're playing in this giant sandbox of a world we've been blessed with, but we're still trying to stick to the story right as much as possible. It's still important to us. And this is a character with a lot of parallels to some of the most central, not to mention a famous real world parallel, legendary parallel or two as well. But yeah, he is mentioned over 90 times between the five novels and the world of ice and fire and then once or twice in uh, fire and blood. 90 plus. No joke. That's not like an estimate. (laughs) I mean, it is sort of an estimate, but it's, it's not a loose estimate. It's above 90. Shortly after this quote that we read from Bran, Sansa thinks of Prince Aemon as well in her first chapter. Because she also loves the stories and he's a star of those stories. He's a favorite. He stands out, not just for his martial deeds, but she thinks of him and his doomed love for his sister. So it's the romance that she's thinking about a lot but also his valor and bravery while Bran's thinking more about the sword play. You know, Sansa loves the kissing stories. Well, Eamon is part of both. He's part of the so-called kissing stories, even if he never did any kissing (laughs) of anyone, maybe, but maybe he did. And he's also a great warrior. So now Sansa will at one point say that she wants to marry Joffrey because, you know, I'll be nares to her, his Prince Eamon. And Ned's like, whoa, okay. Trust me, daughter, Joffrey is no Prince Amen. <laughs> and that, of course, we learn pretty quickly. Ned is completely right there. Sansa would cringe at that comparison were she to remember having made it so long ago. Maybe she'll just not think of that. Good for her. That's a good. That's something you can forget, Sansa. We don't need you to remember that. It's also a good time to remember that George intended this to all to be a trilogy at first. So the pieces of Targaryen history that are included early were more important to the story at the time because there was going to be less of it. He was getting more bang for his buck out of those lore bits because there was going to be so fewer of them. So Aemon the Dragon Knight was going to carry a huge role. And even after the change, he continued. So we obviously love these books, but when we see an historical figure included early on, it is a little more special. Daron First was the first that we see mentioned, if I remember correctly, and he's one of the kings Aemon's gonna serve under, Eamon the Dragon Knight. And we did an episode on Aemon, or on Damon on Daron <laughs> right before one of, one of those names. Yeah, right before House <laughs> of Dragon season. And the only other Targaryen king mentioned before him is Ares, but Ares was the one who just died. But Daron's parallel is to Rob Stark. That's his main analog. And Rob Stark's story is complete, but the parallels suggested and influenced by Aemon are still ongoing even though Aemon, Maester Eamon has passed, yeah, Jaime and Loras and these other characters are still around. Their stories are still playing out. Now, Maester Eamon was born in the year 198, which was roughly 20 years after the Dragon Knight died. So we know how the Dragon Knight died and most of the circumstances, though not the exact year. It's narrowed down to about three or four year range, though. So it's not a, not a big mystery. And it was during the reign of his brother, King Aegon IV, the Unworthy. And that too is a name that says a lot. <laughs> without even knowing much else. Most of you do know a lot about him. We did a whole series on the Blackfyre Rebellions, which started with Aegon the Unworthy because he's the father of all those Blackfires, or grandfather or great-grandfather, what have you. Their stories are all woven together, but this is his point of view as best as we can glean. Then again, perhaps his other namesake has not asked. If you believe Jon Snow's name was meant to be Aemon then there is an Eamon that has a lot in common with Aemon the Dragon Knight still out there. But if you believe he was Aegon or Jaehaerys or, you know, (laughs) Jon, then then that's not as relevant. But still, John does have things in common with Amen the Dragon Knight without his name actually being Eamon, but it might be.
2: From TKOK Podcast Mm -hmm. Network, what kind of current real-world music would Eamon the Dragon Knight listen to? And in my head, it could go a couple ways. I think he could be real mainstream with it or he could be real emo with it to me.
0: He would listen to Jars of Clay, <laughs> Christian rock and, and stuff. Like that.
2: Oh, my God. I think, I think you're right. I think you're really right He's, there, p- He's pretty
0: pious. So. He is <laughs> but pious. But maybe song, yeah. Emo, I can see that, like, songs about, like, wanting to be with someone you can't be with. Or... Yeah, but,
2: but, but you have Jesus. So I don't know if he okay. would be that on the nose. I don't know. Though. Yeah, I don't yeah. know either. But,
0: uh... <laughs> He'd be, like, things to deal with it. He wouldn't. He wouldn't wallow in his own... He would just like try to push forward. I don't know. That's kind (laughs) of, I like the question though. Shout out to TKOK Podcast. What do you think, Sean?
1: I I, I tend to agree with Shay that I don't think he would be into music enough to be listening to some weird indie band or some, you know, (laughs) I think he would listen to something standard, good, popular, you know, and I, I don't know how to define modern. I don't know if ACDC is modern anymore. <laughs> I don't
3: know.
0: Maybe that's too party-ish for him. <laughs> he wouldn't be able to wear earphones. Like, you can't be a King's guard and, and have earbuds <laughs> in. You gotta be paying attention. <laughs> he would listen to what the King listened to. <laughs> he's just saying, that's the best yeah. oh, answer of them all,
2: I think. Yes. He would listen to what the King listened to.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. What, if they, what would Aegon
1: listen to, though? Oh, he's yeah. probably listening to Limp Biscuit or something.
0: <laughs> 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 or 80s rock, like the, the glam rock where it's really about excess. And, yeah, just like, going <laughs> yeah, all out it's and probably drinking that. Yeah. But remember, A- Aemon and the Dragonite served under five kings. So, yes, Aegon was the one that's the most noteworthy, but he came later. And he, he served under, for Dare on the Young Dragon, the Conqueror of Dorne, that would do it, that dude listens to like metal, like he's into
3: <laughs> <that>. <laughs>
0: Yeah, fire and blood music made for the intensity, yeah, and he does have his headphones on while he's on the battlefield, he's like, all right, I'm going for it. <laughs> he was born in 136, the same year that Aegon III's Regency ended, so the, the year Aegon Third became old enough to rule on his own was the same year Aemon the Dragon Knight was born. Now we said that Aemon the Dragon Knight was probably the na- or rather Maester Aemon was named for Aemon the Dragon Knight, and Aemon the Dragon Knight was probably named for the Prince Aemon who had been Jerys and Alysanne's heir for so long. He had been hand to the king, he the uncle of Viserys, Daemon, father of Rhaenys, the queen who never was. That Aemon, of course, had been groomed to be hand, and had died forty-five years earlier to the Mirish crossbowman that was aiming for Lord Tarth. Nina writes, by naming his second son after Aemon, Prince of Dragonstone, Viserys could further underline the Targaryenness of his family, despite their Lyseni maternal heritage. As we discussed in our episode on Lys, or Lys, however you want to say it, <laughs> I go back and forth. Aemon and Aegon and Aerys' mother was Lara Rogare, who was Lyseni. They have the Valyrian look, but the culture is pretty different, and that became a problem, especially for Lara, which, of course, if it's a problem for the mother, it's a problem for the whole family. Let's be honest, that's, there's no way to not have some kind of trickle-down effect if the problem is big enough. While the name of his own father, Damon, might have been a little too divisive, because Damon was such a polarizing figure, and we're not that far past his era, when this is all happening, a similar name. Yeah, Eamon, a guy who was well-loved, rather than Damon, who was violent and, yeah, like I said, someone who you don't have mild opinions about, (laughs) especially if you're in that world. So that was maybe a clever way to have a name that sounded like that, but was referring to someone who was more universally loved, more noble, more neutral name at the time. Aegon, his brother, in a symbolic moment, (laughs) is found hitting his younger infant brother with a dragon egg, this is really wild because Aegon was born in early 135. So he's less than two years old doing this, which is like, whoa. He's really getting ahead on being a jerk. <laughs> it's like he was a real <laughs> prodigy of jerkiness. He got started before, as soon as he could I, I got to believe
1: there's some amount of exaggeration yeah. or interpretation or something here because two year olds can barely like drink from a cup. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't <laughs> see them like an egg. How heavy is a dragon egg? It, pick it and handle it. But I can't imagine he was like laying in a crib with it next to him. He was like rolling it into him or something yeah, like that.
0: Yeah. The so. servants exaggerated or something. Still, it's, it's it makes for ironic symbolism where you have, this is how he's going to be treated by his older brother with disdain, with violence, disregard, with, disregard, yeah. with contempt, I think is a good word for it. Probably because, Aemon was just better at everything. Aemon was just a better person and he was closer to their sister even though Aegon got to marry her. Like just Aemon was just a better dude.
1: Maybe that's some irony too. Maybe Aegon toughened Aemon up Maybe. as a baby. Yeah, having a having <laughs> a crappy a ass
0: older brother like this would yeah, it's either going to break you or make you stronger. It's definitely going to have an impact of some sort. Yeah, it could have been pretty horrifying to the Red Keep and to House Targaryen because they had all just survived the dance, right? It's fresh on their minds. It's only been a few years ago. And you have a two-year-old Targaryen trying to beat up his brother with a dragon egg. Like, that's really symbolic. You're like, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. Let's not do that again. Come on. Come on. Let's like, they're already getting started. Like, he can't be jealous of his brother yet, can he? Like, I guess he can. It's like they were born to fight. But Aemon didn't really fight Aegon, except with words occasionally. He might have argued with him. But it's more like Aegon was born to antagonize Aemon because it wouldn't be long before fighting his brother would have been a really stupid idea or a ticket to quick embarrassment because very early in life, Aemon could out duel Aegon, but obviously not as an infant. <laughs> he was defenseless against Aegon's egg, or maybe it was his egg. I don't know which egg it was, but Aegon his head, Aegon his brother. Yeah. And then Nares was born two years later when the year 138, she was frail and sweet and gentle. And sadly, that made her an easy target for older brother Aegon, who was not sweet or gentle or frail. He was closer to the opposite of all those things. So as far as mother and father, when Aegon was born in 135, Viserys was like 12 or 13. Lara was 19 or 20. So Lara being 19 or 20, that's That's not that old, especially by Westerosi standards for having a child. But 12 year old, and even in Westeros, 12 is very young to be a father, even in Westeros, even by noble standards, where they sometimes go a little early. You know, they they call them all the money taken care of.
2: You know, they called them Viserys.
0: (laughs) 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 So they were both anointed by the faith. And that's important to note because in this era, Things were getting less and less dragony and more and more seventy because the dragons were gone. And so they couldn't be like, well, we have our dragons, don't mess with us. Now we're like, well, we don't have so many dragons. And early on, they would have none at all. So they had to play a little nicer. And that led to more and more closeness to the faith, more and more taking up some of the tenets, both in House Targaryen and without. But not every Targaryen went along with it. So that's a really important sort of division of sorts. Not that they were against the faith, but they didn't embrace it to the level of some of the others. And some of the Targaryen kings in the future, especially like think Balor the Blessed, number one of all embracing the faith, right? But after that as well, Daron the Second, Daron the Good, very, very pious. And over time, they started to move away from some of the incest traditions as well, because, well, why? Why be incestuous when you aren't keeping the blood pure for dragon riding? It's, if there's no dragons, what's the point of that? So these are things that will come up. These are things that are changing for House Targaryen early on in this era. So Aemon's born right at the cusp of a new time, a new world for House Targaryen and for Westeros. Lara also wanted them anointed in a lycene ceremony. She wasn't against them being anointed in the faith, but she wanted them like doubly anointed, which is pretty normal in the real world too, but not this particular situation wasn't so normal because people didn't like the Lysine religions. They didn't like her to hurt to people around Westeros. They were strange and they didn't understand it. It was, it's strange to them. They think it's black magic. And it was a little made a little worse by the fact that Lara didn't ever learn to speak the common tongue. Any conversation between her and her children would have been in Lysene or one of her other languages like Valyrian. Lysene is just a dialect of Valyrian anyway, which by the way, it tells us that her children learned to speak those languages, but they may not have kept it in practice because she left in 139, returned to Lys and never came back. She didn't feel welcome in part because there were aggression, there was aggression against her family, her side of the family. And her family had that big collapse. The Regari family had their big power play that fell apart. And there was civil war and members of her family were killed and all sorts of stuff happened. That's a little outside the scope of this episode. A lot of it we covered in the lycine episode. So it's kind of understandable that she left. On the other hand, there's people out there who really can't fathom leaving their children behind. But if we try to put herself in her shoes, maybe it makes a little more sense. Nina says, I do feel bad for Lara because I can imagine what sort of unhappiness she might have been feeling at this point. She'd already been violently reminded during the Lycine Spring that her foreignness could and would be used against her. And there were definitely a lot of Westerosi that would have preferred Viserys to marry someone from Westeros and not a Rogari, especially because he was basically forced into it, even though he liked it. He was happy with the arrangement. Viserys was, it was still forced on him. And so other nobles and... Folks out there didn't like that and didn't like the Lyseni encroachment on their culture and the power they were trying to achieve and all that. Not to mention one of the regents, Lord Manderly, flat out openly gave a larger sentence to one of her family members because of his race. because be, ah, you're a thrice damned Lyseni, you know, and gave him and like openly said that. So that doesn't really help dial back the racial animosity when you have one of the highest ranking people in the kingdom just saying that out loud to people like basically endorsing that prejudice if you feel negative towards lara for leaving her children at least balance it out with with this stuff because it's pretty heavy pretty heavy pretty severe she was very unwanted there
1: i think another thing that nina says here too is that she might not have really been given the opportunity to be a mother yeah like that's true. Like, she might be leaving these children that she's not even allowed to see. Yeah, they don't
0: don't want her to raise them as Lyseni, so they're trying to take take her away. Yeah, I I see that. They're
1: trying to keep her out of the public eye, trying to prevent the kids, trying to make sure the kids learn Westerosi customs and not Lyseni customs. So, like, if she's a borderline prisoner, her children are borderline prisoners. They're kept apart from each other. There's prejudices against her. Like, at some point, in general, I understand the idea like you said it's hard to fathom leaving your children but i can fathom it i yeah. can come up with a scenario where you would and i think this might be the scenario
0: and and here's another there's another example that Nina mentions here is Milario Norvas that's the mother of Ariane and Quentin and the other one, Tristan. Tristan. <laughs> Tristan, <laughs> yeah. I
3: was like, see the other one. <laughs> the other
0: one. <laughs> yeah, I forgot Lancel the other day. Yeah, yeah. I'm, in, I'm in the middle of a reread because, like, yeah, I'm like, oh, they got to shake that rust off, Aziz. <laughs> and yeah, so Malaria, of course, she also left. She left to go back to Norvos. She was unhappy in Dorne, And Doran didn't really give her a say in some important decisions. Like she, he when he gave their children away as hostages. She complained and was like, what kind of father gives her kids, gives her kids away? Like, well, a princely sort. It's like, who's really giving the kids away? Like, who's really leaving the children in this scenario, right? So that that is a fair argument to be made there. It's like, you sent them away. I left, but you sent them away. I didn't leave the children. You had already sent them away. Anyway, coming back to Eamon, it's very traumatic. Narys, I mean, there's trauma from just never meeting your mother in the first place. I don't want to downplay that. I never met my father and that mattered. But... Aemon and Aegon, it probably would have been worse because they were four and three and they would have a memory of her and they would remember her leaving. So this, this is probably more powerful, probably a bigger level of trauma. And for Viserys, it was a big deal too. This is his only wife. He doesn't remarry. He was only 17 and he was very into her. He liked her a lot. And well, he kind of went Tywin. Viserys is kind of a like Tywin without the cruelty and evil, but but yes, the coldness and the becomes stern after his wife well, in this case, left, in Tywin's case, died and had three children, <laughs> two boys, one girl, and one joins the king's guard. Yeah, there's all these very similar things, not to mention Viserys' is hand to the king for 20 years, just like Tywin was. <laughs> so there's a lot of very strong parallels here. So if you think of Tywin, or think of Viserys very simply as Tywin without the cruelty and evil, you'd be pretty close. So competent, capable, intelligent, good administrator, but not a great parent, you know? Was he a mass murderer?
1: No. <laughs> so okay, that, okay. I remember, that's, that's
0: a pretty big distinction. Well, I said factors. without the evils. So you know. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs>
0: Another really fascinating thing about this time period is because the dance wiped out so many Targaryens and just people in general, not just Targaryens, obviously. Viserys at age 17 was the second oldest Targaryen at the time. The only older one was the King Aegon, which is his older brother, who's only a couple years old. So, who would just, as we said, in 136 reaches age of maturity. So, This is a very young batch of target. It's like a not only is it a new era culturally because of the changes and loss of dragons and all these other things, but it's like a reset within the family on a personal level. Like they don't have the elder statesmen to learn from or to teach them stories of the old days. They have that in the form of non-family members, maesters, and other people who may be close by, maybe a Valarian cousin here or there. The sea snake was gone by now too. There's just there's not a lot of people they could talk to about what things used to be like. So they had to make their own way. And that's doubly so for this family who didn't even have a mother and who had a father who was too young to be a good dad and was hand to the king. So he was rather busy besides. So you say Eamon became strong because his brother beat on him? Well, he had a lot of other factors that made him strong. Yeah, he was privileged. No, let's not forget that. Sure, he had money and wealth and education. But in terms of parenting, and a support group around him, eh? Not that much. Not that much. I wouldn't call him privileged in that regard. Certainly not. I'd say almost, maybe even almost underprivileged in that in that regard. Nina says it's interesting to speculate on the political implications as well. Lara would have been something like the second lady in Westeros after the queen, Queen Daenerys. and so her flight might have caused quite a bit of comment, as, even though she wasn't well loved by a lot of people. It just goes to show that the big reset at court—you don't have these older cousins or the former, the dowager the Queen, nothing like that. So who, would you, who do you go talk to? Who do you ask advice for? It's a really, really different time, even though it's not that long after the dance. A lot of pressure, a lot of change. Another reason Viserys might have been under pressure to remarry, though, he might have been under pressure to remarry after Lara left, is that his older brother, the king, didn't have any kids yet. So Aegon, Aemon, and Nerys were the only young Targaryens at the time, so that all the the future of the kingdom looked like it might pass through there. Might, The king was still young, and his queen was too young to have kids. So there was no, there wasn't like doubt that they would ever have kids. But it until it happens, you don't know that it's going to happen. And, and it's important to note that it isn't just Aemon and Aegon and Nerys that lack a mother figure. I mean, Aegon, the king himself, didn't have a mother around. Neither did Viserys, his mother, their mother was gone. And Queen Daenerys, her mother was gone too. So none of these kids had their parents around and they're having to like rule the kingdom and rebuild the kingdom after this giant civil war. Yeah, a few years had passed. A lot of the rebuilding had happened, but still they were worried about it happening again. And there's just a lot going on. It's a lot for teenagers to have to handle, even royal teenagers, even with their upbringing and all that. Un, unadulted. <laughs> you could, it's the word unadulterated. <laughs> unadulterated children. <laughs> I could see the Targaryens being heavily protected too, like mothered and fathered by people who weren't their mother and father, like very overly protective of the very few Targaryens who were left. Because if the Targaryens die out, then you got to figure out who's going to rule. And that's probably going to go bloody. No one wants that. That's not something that you aim for unless you're, I don't know, Euron or something like that, or Littlefinger maybe. So not many people would want that, if anyone. So not only is a child going to feel major loss from the departure of their mother and loss of protection, just the feeling of having your mother around, but presumably the fearsome Sandok the Shadow would have left also. He would have been a monstrous protector that even as a kid, you'd be like, oh my God, that dude is just way bigger than everyone else. But he's on your side. He plays nice music. He's there always protecting your mother. You'd probably recognize him as... A protective influence and then he's gone too and you're like dang
1: <laughs> so he was like a bodyguard to yeah.
0: laura yeah he was a former pit fighter that was freed and made her sworn shield and he's like a huge man like sort of Gregor oracle sized not as tall okay. but wider and not you know undead <laughs> but- <laughs> Very dark-skinned, so unfamiliar looking to a lot of Westerosi, which may have made him more intimidating, and his face was, like, scarred up, and his lips were missing, and he didn't talk, but he played music. Uh. Yeah. He he could play the harp really well. He was beautiful music. Very interesting characters. They may have missed his music as well. You know, I didn't think of that until now. Yeah, Sean has... Whoa, lips were missing? Yeah. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, so he was... It's it hard to drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what Sean I wonder so if you had a straw. How will
2: you drink all your drinks?
0: <laughs> 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 With this vibe around court of lots of Lyseni and this big burly protector who could spring forth at any moment. So maybe it's natural that Eamon took to knighthood because they didn't have the adults around as much as they would other generations did to protect them. And so... With the knightly sense of duty and this, the faith of the seven is becoming more and more part of the royal court. You could see why someone would step forward and be like, I'm going to be the one to take on this duty and be a protector. It's needed. I have the skills. I'm going to do it. And that person was Eamon. Even at a young age, it seems like he started to take on that duty. Seems like he was a very serious child. Didn't, didn't play a lot, probably. It also makes sense that
1: if we think that as a young child, he would make this realization that he needs to step up and take on this role and be prepared. There are probably a lot of adults around that had the same realization. They probably, there's probably some amount of pushing him into it. And you're like, hey, don't you want to learn how to fight with this sword? You know, I'm sure there are plenty of other knights and masters of arms and so on that would have been eager to teach him and would have, push him in this And direction. he would have
0: shown aptitude for it, which would have made them push him. Yeah. Like, oh, this kid's good. Let's, yeah, we, we should work on, you know, let's, let's develop his talent He's so good that he almost certainly was good right away. Like the talent showed itself. He was strong and and fast. It's also was inflamed by the fact that, yeah, the king himself was kind of a depressed kid. He got, he came out of it somewhat. Marriage changed him, having kids changed him, but he was still very depressed, very dark-mooded for understandable reasons given how things had gone for him earlier in life but he clearly wasn't going to step up and be this fearsome protector of the family even though he was the king and neither was his own brother Aegon going to step up and do that because he was clearly lazy and more like Aegon the second interested in girls and drinking and stuff like that so Aemon maybe one day realized that hey I'm the one I'm the one that's capable of doing this it's my duty to actually do that and Yeah, I like your idea, Sean, that they maybe noticed that right away and some of the masters at arms people who were, took it upon themselves to be foster parents for these Targaryens who quite clearly didn't have their own parents around as much or at all. And I think that would have garnered some sympathy around some of the other nobles at court. And some people would have really liked young Aemon because of his nature, because of being dutiful. You're like, really, you feel bad for a kid. You can't be a kid, right? Yet, you'd also be proud of someone that shows such talent and works hard.
1: Something we've seen a few times is that the Kingsguard often have certain responsibilities, often like a certain person that they're more specifically responsible for, yeah. right? And I don't know how much of this is definitive or institutionalized versus how it turns out to be. But was there a Kingsguard that was more assigned to Amon? When we know this, we don't even, know. Yeah,
0: the Kingsguard in this era is a little bit un, a little bit, un- especially un- if there's so few
1: Targaryens. It seems like you might have, yeah. like, I don't know, one Kingsguard might be responsible for like Joffrey. He had Sandor, basically, right? Yeah, and then there might be another Kingsguard that's like the other kids, and one is Cersei, and one is, I don't know, the, the courtroom. Yeah, or there's so some other person, but there's
0: preferences and sort of the way it falls out, like certain groupings happen like Rhaegar certain ones got close with Rhaegar and that almost became a problem but there's no like set rule for it it's really more about just human relationships and how they tend to just work out
1: I'm gonna say though we may never know but I'm gonna say there was probably a Kingsguard that was close to Amon it probably taught him a thing or two I think you're know? right
0: I think you're very probably right about that he joined the Kingsguard at an early age as we'll see pretty soon and if he's surrounded by knightly virtue protect the weak join this, you know, the faith of the seven, these virtues would be all around him and he would see the need for them. And unlike someone like Sandor Clegane, who was disabused of the notion very early on that knighthood is a, a load of BS, Eamon would not have been disabused of that notion. He might, he would have been disabused of certain other things, like maybe m- certain things about growing up and your parents and your family. <laughs> like, yeah, <it's, laughs> your family's not always great, which m- might be all the more reason why he sought solace in these institutions and in being a royal he wouldn't have maybe seen the dark side of some of the institutions until he was much older unlike a Sandor Clegane who was exposed to that at eight years old where he's like yeah they give my brother a knighthood then the whole thing is worthless that never happened for Aemon.
1: Do we know who the Lord Commander was at that time?
0: No we don't yeah we don't know much about the Kings Guard this super early time and even later we don't know that much about it we just know that several of them died in Dorne but we'll get to that later. So Laura dies in 145, causes unknown. So again, even though he was a Targaryen and had a lot of privilege, his life was marked by pain and loss. She was 30 only when she died. So they may have still had like letters back and forth, may have heard from her from time to time, but that obviously stopped. And we don't know what happened. So it may have even been worse than it sounds because it may have been tragic. It may have been like she may have been murdered or something, and that would have just made it worse.
2: It wouldn't be unreasonable at all f- for someone to murder the, the queen, the wife of the king, leaving the king open to remarry. Like, that's very possible. That's I know point. it's far, but, like, that's a good target if you think you have an eligible daughter.
0: Yeah, because he might have just always been Viserys. part of Viserys might have hoped she would come back one day, but if she's yeah. dead, then he's not going to hold on to that hope. As it turned out, he never did remarry. So yeah. if that was their plan, it didn't work. <laughs> so we can't know. At this point, it's a really interesting open question is, was their Lysani heritage severed at this point? Did they still have connection to any of their Lysani family? They may have still had some Rogari cousins out there. I mean, the Rogari family had their fall, but it wasn't a total collapse. It wasn't like they were wiped out. As we saw, which one of the Rogari, I forget which one, came back and got to bury Lysandro properly. And so they had a, a comeback. So yeah, Eamon's grandfather, Lysandro the Magnificent, died in 135, a year before Eamon was born. But Lysandro's wife, Eamon's grandmother, is an unknown to us. We don't know her name. She might have still been alive, especially because she might have been a lot younger than Lysandra. That's not uncommon at all. And even if she was around his age, he wasn't super old. I mean, she could easily just be in her 50s. She might only be in like her 40s. So she could easily have been alive. Nina says, I tend to imagine that Viserys did not want anything, did not want to reinforce anything to do with the Lysani side of his family following Lara's departure. He had himself experienced the xenophobic backlash against the Regari's during the Lysani spring. So he might have been wary of reminding Westeros about all that, especially with her being gone. There's not as much reason to defend her. And uh, yeah, she's not on his side as much anymore. What What is he really pulling for at this point? He may have just resented her at that point too. He may have resented her leaving. We, we, know, we, we hear he grew stern, which is part of the Tywin connection there. And he may have resented anything to do with her at that point, even if he was also simultaneously still in love with her. It may have been one of those, like, I hate you, I love you kind of things. So that's all very believable, but we're really just guessing at this point. While Aegon III wasn't fondly remembered as a king, he had a quality shared by Viserys I that we lauded that is semi-priceless in a person with absolute power. He didn't abuse his office. Yeah, he wasn't a great king, but he didn't go around throwing his weight around. He didn't, like, force people to do things that were dishonorable. He wasn't cruel.
2: I feel like, if, Aemon, I feel like if, if he forced anyone to do anything, it would just be like crying sessions.
0: Yeah. <laughs> listen to his emo music catalog. Yeah. You're like, yeah, the, he's like, gosh, King's making me listen to his music again. In fact, Aemon might have found things in common with King Aegon more so than with Aegon, his brother, because think of Aegon III. Serious, humble, dutiful, unmarked by lust and vice maybe a little sad because of things that happened to his family. Pretty close in age, too.
2: How close in age were they, do you think?
0: Well, Aegon became, I mean, not super close in age, but pretty close. So Aegon III became 16 the year that uh, Aemon was born. So 16 years apart, I guess it's not that close. But close enough that he could look up to him a little and say, if if any of the Targaryens uh around were like him and he wanted someone to look up to in his own family, it would probably be him. Mm -hmm. And of course, Aegon III did start having children eventually. Maybe it was more out of duty than out of love, although he had five children, so (laughs) that kind of implies he was maybe enjoying himself a little bit, if not a lot. He maybe came around on it. No pun intended. Uh, In 143... (laughs) Okay, pun intended. In 143, when the Dragon Knight, who was not yet called that, was seven, the future King Daron I was born. So he's closer in age to this guy followed a year later by Daron's younger brother, the future king Baylor, followed in succession by Princesses Dana, Reina, and Elena in year 150 when Aemon was 14. So while Aemon was never all that close to inheriting the throne in the first place, he fell even further behind, and so did his brother. We don't know what Aegon was thinking. He may have thought he was close, then he fell really far behind, which made Aemon's development or sense of duty even clearer given traditions and the family conditions at this point the Targaryen family was regrowing itself all the more reason for him to be like to have the attitude of Valoris or something where it's like yeah I'm the third fourth fifth line down there's no need for me to marry and have kids I should be a warrior I should be that this and that so the standard Westerosi traditions were clear here like his duty was pretty straightforward in that in that sense. So let's talk about his siblings, because this is the meat of it. Obviously, most of it, his parents aren't a big part of the story. One of them's already dead at this point. Technically, she isn't dead yet, but we fast forwarded to her death because it's not going to have much to do with anything. And Viserys is going to be too busy being Hand to be much of a father. Again, we're going to see them raise each other. So it's these three siblings. It's the, they're going to be mm, the focus for a lot of this. Now, Aegon had a lot of terrible qualities. If you think of the young versions of him like Aegon II, you'd not be f- too far off. Though this Aegon was more capable with the sword, and maybe even maybe a little crueler, too. That wouldn't last, as we'll see. He also took after Viserys I and that he really declined as he aged, partly due to lots of partying. But while Viserys the health declined, his personality didn't really change. Aegon, on the other hand, it was both. His health and his personality declined. He became a jerk. He became uh, more cruel, more hateful, more vindictive, more all the bad things. But this was a very slow build up. And again, he's not king, not yet. So it was less of a problem than it could have been. But still, it was bad. I
1: feel like Robert is almost yes Aegon light. Robert you know? is the best comparison
0: yeah. for Aegon the Unworthy. Yes, especially because of all the bastards. Well, maybe not especially because of, but that's one of the major things they have. In common. Adding to it. Yeah. yeah. And the very slow decline. Yeah. And Robert also not as bad as Aegon. But Yeah. Similar cloth, cut from a similar mold, for yeah. sure. And at the time, it probably didn't seem that bad, though, because, it, like I said, it was so gradual. It was a slow process. And his father, or their father, kind of kept him in check. The Viserys made Aegon behave better. Like, he disciplined him somewhat. So that helps. Not as much as it could have. Maybe if he had a mom around, it would have helped even more. It's also possible, Nina writes, that Aegon developed his resentment towards Eamon very early. Indeed, you could see that. Two brothers, the older brother is worse at everything, the younger brother excels at everything, and the older brother's already kind of a jerk, already kind of a narcissist. He's going to take out his frustrations on the person that's besting him, not look inward and feel depressed that he's not good enough, or just shrug it off because he's good at other things, or just who knows how he could have reacted, but it went about as bad as it could. And from what we know, that Aegon took his brother being better than him poorly. And he wasn't just better than him. He's one of the best ever. <laughs> so it's really, if that feeling existed, and it probably did, it would have been pretty intense for Aegon to be like, wow, I am really, I'm the older one. But my younger brother is just best at the thing that everyone in this country values most being good with a sword. It's like he would have gotten so much acclaim, so much praise. And Aegon's just damn it, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go drink some more. <laughs> Not that this excuses his eventual behavior, but, you know, if he hadn't turned Whatever. out so bad, I would feel more sympathetic for him. <laughs> I literally don't even care about skills with a sword. <laughs> <laughs> this jealousy may have grown because Eamon and Neri grew close. Eamon, the, the brother and sister, had a lot in common, whereas the older brother, the one who's actually going to marry the sister has less to do with them. They don't have as much in common. So this is another little point of division between a a close little group here. And Aegon would be the one that would remember their mother the most. He'd be the one that would feel that her loss probably the most and may have even been like her the most. Lots of jealousy, lots of animosity, lots of unevenness, and lots of lack of parenting all very early on creates kind of a mess. George also said, by the way, that Daenerys turned out to look like Daenerys, as in Daenerys' mother of dragons, and she would have a daughter named Daenerys as well. That's the Watergarden's Daenerys. So like Aemon, Daenerys was dutiful and pious, and their duty was clear, especially in the shadow of the Dance of the Dragons. Doing whatever they could to avoid another civil war would have been paramount. There'd be a lot of pressure. Too bad they didn't have Ann as a mother. when young. Daenerys, a different Daenerys died. Their plan was to marry Daenerys to the first Aemon. And then Jaehaerys is like, well, Daenerys died. Let's marry Aemon to the next youngest kid. That's young Alyssa. And J- Alison's like, no, Balon and Alyssa are separ- Are like attached at the hip. We were going to marry the two of them. Let that continue. You well, we don't need to break all the previous arrangements to make the oldest two marry. That's, it's really not that important to do that. It's too bad because a- Aemon and Nereus would have been a great couple probably and they got along really well. But that consideration didn't exist. And especially it's tragic here because they weren't in line for the throne, right? They, that wasn't the the thing. It was like, well, maybe we need to be a little strict about it when it's the king and queen we're talking about. But it wasn't even that. They really could have just had Aegon marry someone else and have Aemon and Nereus marry. So that's too bad. But of course, we wouldn't have gotten all this great story if it had gone that way.
1: Hmm. It's also easy to think of the best case scenario, but that might've also gone sour because what if that made Aegon even more upset and jealous of Amon and he ended up killing him or punishing him in some more specific way, you know,
0: either way, it seems likely they knew what would happen. They knew the score. They knew the writing on the wall. They knew Nary's was going to marry Aegon. There was no indication things would go other ways. It would go the standard traditional route. He would be a warrior because that's what was needed. And, I might be projecting, but I really picture Eamon the Dragon Knight as a guy who has that I can never be good enough attitude. He just tries so hard to make up for that, even though he's amazing. And that a lot of times comes from people that are underparented or abandoned when they're young by their parents or feel abandoned. It's up for debate what abandonment means. I think it's pretty clearly fair to call it the case here. So what that does in a person is you have someone that works really hard, who's also really talented in his case, that never is satisfied with their own level of success. So like, yeah, everyone around you is telling you you're great and a part of you doesn't ever accept it because you know that they were pumping you up as a kid to make up for your mom and dad being gone and to make up for the unusual nature of your upbringing. And and maybe as an adult, you still feel like they're pandering to you that way and it just sticks with you forever. You're just always trying to be better because you never think you can be good enough. And that leads to you being amazing at the things you're good at because you work so hard at it and you're so constantly motivated. And then you're pious on top of that with the duty angle throwing it at you. I mean, this is no wonder this guy is so good. He had the talent, but I get the impression he worked really hard at it too. A lot of times
1: in that scenario, it's, it's the type of thing where someone looks so successful, but they're not happy. Yeah. They're successful because they work so hard and they try so hard. So they gain these skills and, and these accolades, but they're not happy. They're doing all this, trying to find happiness and not.
0: Yeah. So I, th- and I, I think here's where the piety comes in again is he would also be taught to be humble. So He wouldn't be like, even if he did recognize his own greatness, he would downplay it. He would never be like the, I am the greatest type of guy. You, know, you wouldn't see him doing that sort of, he would be the, I won. Picture football when someone spikes the football and the, when they score a touchdown, they're excited because they scored. There was a player, Barry Sanders, he would just set the football down when he scored. He would make this amazing run, dodge like 12 people, and it would go in a highlight film for the next 20 years, and he would just set the ball down. And go back, ready for the next play, like super humble. That that's aim in the Dragon Knight in my mind. <laughs> he's he's the Barry. I mean, we've already made him Wayne Gretzky. Now he's Barry Sanders. I feel sorry for y'all who don't know anything about these sports references. I'm very Ugh. sorry, but just understand these were great players.
2: <laughs> I think of Wayne Gretzky as a famous quote.
1: Man,
0: <laughs> from the Michael Scott quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't know The Office or sports, you're really
1: screwed here.
0: Why are you even watching this podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like Game of Thrones, y'all. Hello. So, well, are you guys gonna talk about Game of Thrones I guess at any that's point? That's a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, humility works for me as a as a character trait for Eamon because happiness and joy. I don't know if those would work for him, but humility. That's that already fits with the piety. This is a boy to me who did a lot of growing up in his own mind, a lot of the blood of his own of the growing up, he did it in his own head because he didn't have his parents around to do that for him. And the one person he shared it with, though, would have been his sister. And she probably shared it with him because they had so much in common. They had that bond. They were just close. There's no, other, no better way to put it. They were close. They shared things. I get the feeling they prayed together a lot. And I don't mean that the euphemistic way, like when Renly asked Loras to stay behind and pray. I mean, like, they legitimately prayed
1: together. Oh, but you guys got to see the Fablemans. Anyone who hasn't seen the Fablemans. Yeah, <laughs> nice. If you have seen it, you know what I'm talking about.
0: And this is exactly one of the doomed aspects of their love that Sansa fixates on, because the singers like to say that there was romance between them or implies that they wanted it to be. We don't actually know that. For all we know, Nerys and Aemon never even considered hooking up. They just had this. They were pious. They felt brotherly, sisterly about each other, because that is how most people would think of a brother and sister. It's only because they're Targaryens that we're even considering the opposite. But because they're Targaryens, it's not just a consideration. It's Not unlikely, and so many of the rumors are in that direction. But to be clear, there's no evidence at all that they ever so much as kissed. It's purely rumor, and a lot of those rumors were started by their brother later in life for his own ends. But also those stories caught on because they catch the attention of the... A romance novel minded youngster like Sansa, and the singers and storytellers <laughs> know that. So they write the story that way to catch the eye of a Sansa or a Bran or whoever is reading these stories, like or an Us or an Ashea or Sean and Aziz, mm-hmm. you know. And that brings us to again to Love versus Duty, one of the ultimate a Song of Ice and Fire dichotomies, one shared by Maester Aemon, of course, because he's the one who introduces it to John. Now, Maester Aemon and John are, of course, both descendants of Aegon the Unworthy. Unless you believe some of the rumors that we shall discuss, Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight had no descendants at all, unless you believe those very same rumors, in which case he's, he is their ancestor directly. But here's a quote from Maester Aemon describing this very thing. My
1: father was Makar, the first of his name, and my brother, Aegon, reigned after him in my stead. My grandfather named me for Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, who was his uncle, or his father, depending on which tale you believe. Aemon, he called me.
0: And that's what John says, Targaryen? And of course, later, you're going to be like, "John Targaryen? Yeah, <laughs> like you too? But this is, this is a lot of irony here, and Nina points out, because Aemon says, what would your father do? He's like, my father would do the honorable thing, no matter what. And Aemon's like, well, then your father is the rare one in 10,000 person that would choose duty, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's, he, you should realize, John, that your father, if he really is that honorable, is an extreme exception. He's not normal. I'm not saying you shouldn't think that's a good thing, but don't act like it's normal. <laughs> and that's ironic here because Aemon, the Dragon Knight, might be one of those other rare occasions of 1 in 10,000 where they really are that honorable too, like maybe a Ned Stark. But even a Ned Stark had his flaws and things he did that were you could call dishonorable or mistakes or what have you. Same, as, same for Aemon. That Aemon loved Narius is very clear, but again, Nina agrees that can't go so far as to be sure that there was a romance. He was the only one that could make her laugh. There were things that they shared that no one else would understand. The treatment by their brother made them made them bond because he treated them equally awful, and no one else quite so uniquely that way because they weren't his siblings. So just a lot of things they had in common that no one else possibly could. Let's talk about him becoming the Dragon Knight. I've referred to him as that so far, but of course he didn't have that nickname until a little later. We're not exactly sure when he got the nickname, but probably pretty early, probably as a teenager.
1: Thinking about the honor thing and Ned and these other characters that, you know, if honor is defined by how well you serve your king or how well you follow your vows, then I guess Ned or Amon or maybe Jamie or whoever are... Honorable, but like, is would, would Jamie be thought of as more honorable if he didn't kill Ares? If you let Ares kill a bunch of innocent people, then he would have been more honorable to some yeah. people.
2: And, and, to some people, yeah, yeah. and yeah. to some people, no. It's, yeah. There's no yeah. one answer. I think there.
0: you should have nailed it. It's in the eye of the beholder. You, yeah. There is no yeah. like universal honor guide to refer to. And I think Eamon struggled with that too. He probably very, very honestly in his mind was like, well, what's the yeah. more, which of my duties? Takes precedence over the others. And that's the thing that Jamie just kind of eventually threw his hands up, like, well, who's I have all these duties. I took all these O's, which they contradict each other. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Eamon probably. And I think that's that why story. this is interesting. I think
1: George acknowledges that and uses that constantly to tug us in different yeah. ways in our opinions of these characters. You know? And Eamon
0: had a different set of on uh, uh, difficult to rank duties and loyalties that were different from Jamie's. Different set of problems, and, of different structures.
1: And a similar Another piece of the parallel we were talking about earlier, too. If we see Jamie sees Robert abusing Cersei, Aemon sees Aegon abusing Neryx. Yes. Right? Yes. What's the honorable thing to do here? Protect my sister or follow the king's orders or wishes or whatever, you
0: know? Yeah. And for Aegon, and you can see, it might might be even harder in some way, or Aemon might be even harder in some ways, because with Cersei, yeah, it's Jamie's sister. Robert's not his brother though. So there's like what he has this he yeah. still has to be loyal to him because he's the king's guard and that's the king. So that's still really strong. That's still really powerful to a knight, especially knight of the king's guard. But for Aemon it would be tougher because that's also his family. It's yes, it's the king yeah. and the king's guard and his older brother, which Westeros tells you you have a duty to your older brother. And Jamie
1: has this strike against them that he's got to make up for too. Yeah. Right? Like so If he hadn't killed Ares, Ares, they might all be dead anyway. But if he hadn't, then maybe he has some more leeway to stand up to Robert, right? Yeah. But since he's like barely being left alive, right? Like (laughs) there's like plenty of justification to have had him executed already and he wasn't. So I guess I just have to do what the king says now. Yeah. But but I wonder for Amon, if maybe he had, and who knows, maybe he did. Maybe Aegon would have been worse if not for Aemon. Maybe Aemon did put him in check a couple times. Maybe. Didn't quite make the history books. I think but. that
0: definitely did happen because there's a lot of evidence that Aegon was worse after Aemon died. Because Aegon outlived his brother. Mm-hmm. There you and go. Yeah. He, was, he was looser with his tongue and his accusations after his brother died. But we, that, won't come up till part two. <laughs> We're just now getting to his teens, his late teens. This section is called The Dragon Knight and it starts with a quote.
2: He was as robust as Aegon as an infant and as beautiful to look upon, but his brother's faults were not in him. He proved the greatest jouster and swordsman of his age, a knight worthy to bear Dark Sister. He became known as the Dragon Knight for the three-headed dragon crest wrought in white gold upon his helm. To this very day, some call him the noblest knight who ever lived and one of the most storied names to ever serve in the Kingsguard.
0: gives us a clue when the nickname came about. It was after he joined the Kingsguard because that helm is white gold. It sounds like his Kingsguard helm, a helm he had made for joining the Kingsguard. So that's probably where that happened. The Kingsguard aren't supposed to be all flashy, but this guy is a dragon helm. Jamie <laughs> yeah. did the same thing. He had the Lannister stuff. Most of them are just supposed to be pure white without this with only a little bit of heraldry. Like a lot of them have the, the cloak, the, the clasp that gives them a Sounds little Sounds subtle to me. But a few others had it. Like Oswald Went apparently had this bat helm. So yeah. maybe it's not as you know. uncommon as I'm saying. Still, it's a cool helmet. <laughs> it does, by the way, help place the time, I guess. Like when
1: I when we were first doing this episode, I assumed he was the Dragonite because he had a dragon.
0: Oh, but yeah. At this time, there are no dragons, yeah, right? So- that makes sense, yeah. And in fact, that's, that's a great segue, because what I've just wrote, written here in this part is Eamon was growing up in a new era. No longer could the Targaryens rely on their dragons. They may not have fully come to grips with that when Eamon was a young teenager, because they weren't all gone yet. They were still a few dragons left, but throughout Eamon's youth, those remaining few died. At some point in the year 153, when Eamon was 17, the last one died. That year was really symbolic. The last dragon dying is momentous enough, but the family added several milestones as well in line with the new era, which was with the dragons dying out, the need to practice incest took a big hit. We'll see a pushback against that only to have it return, only to have it be pushed back against, only to have it return again. (laughs) Not all won't be covered in this episode. That's like a long-term thing, like all the way up to the time of Ares, where it just kind of goes back and forth with certain Targaryens getting rid of it and then others bringing it back.
2: I thought Nina had a really good point here when she said that she was fascinated by the way the decline and gradual extinction of the dragons during Nerys and Aemon's childhoods, their formative years might have influenced their own deep piety. If you think about... The doctrine of exceptionalism that hinges on their mastery of dragons. And if they don't have the dragons, why would they marry their siblings? And why it just makes sense to me that if they see the Targaryen power falling away, that they would grip on to piety and
1: the seven. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. And yeah, they don't have the dragons to say this is the proof from the powers that be, the deities, the gods, that we deserve to be in front. Well, if we don't have this boon from the gods anymore, this huge point of separation, this thing that elevates us, well, we better get in line with the gods, yeah, too. Clearly,
2: yeah, <laughs> you know? clearly the gods aren't blessing us. And Aegon the Conqueror group, was yeah.
0: already doing that, but now they, it just goes to another level now that they don't have the, the dragons. Yeah, good point. You know, another shit. thing and, yeah. you can imagine,
1: it might have been risky, but some bold sects, some bold religious leaders might have said, in private at least, well... Mm-hmm that's what you get for being incestuous. Yes. Of course your dragons are dying yes. off. Like that You could see them like publicly or privately, and maybe uh, over time more publicly, blaming bad things the Targaryens did for why your dragons are falling apart. And even if they get their tongues chopped out for saying it, if Aegon heard it a couple times, you might wonder, it might get in his, be a worm in his brain, it takes over some of his decision makings, you know?
0: Which is why there's a, that's a great point. And this is why there's a very strong chance that Nerys and Aemon never even considered hooking up because this would be against this new version of Targaryen piety that was appropriate for this new era. So for them to flaunt that would be more than just two Targaryens hooking up, which in the past would have been like, eh, they do that. But this is... Yeah, so there's a lot more against them doing it, despite even beyond the lack of proof, which is by itself quite a bit. Aegon and Nares married early in the year, early in the year 153. She became pregnant around the third month of the year. That's how we can be pretty sure that happened early in the year, unless they slept together before the wedding, which is pretty unlikely, despite what kind of man Aegon was. We're given conflicting reports of what happened at the wedding. Singers say both Aemon and Nares cried. Historians say Nares cried during the betting, and Aemon argued with Aegon during the feast. I would guess, putting two and two together, the thing they argued about was the betting. Betting is awful f- for a lot of people. I mean, there's some women that, that actually kind of like it because they get, they get into the whole party spirit of it, but you could easily see why someone wouldn't. And Nares is a, str- like, I would bet a lot she would be in squarely in the no thanks category for this tradition. And Aemon would back her on that and Aegon would be like, nope, I'm doing it this is the way I want to do it. This is my wedding. I'm doing what I want to do. And he probably got very drunk. Because remember, folks, that's the order of things. The feast, then the bedding. Guarantee Aegon was drunk. There was a feast before that. So another thing for Aegon and him to argue with his brother about like, don't be a jerk to our sister, be gentle. And he's like, shut up, brother, I'm gonna do what I want. You know, like, I can easily picture something like that happening and being like, ugh. There weren't any like blades drawn type of fighting. It was an argument. Nothing like that type of level of, of dispute. But Aemon was showing the kind of man he was here. Standing up for those who couldn't help themselves, even when there wasn't much he could do about it. He still stood up. And if, if all he could do is argue, he's going to argue. If he can draw his sword and fight, he's going to do that. So this is another reason Sansa liked him so much. He did what was right. According to the stories, he did what was right. He always kept... His sister in mind, he cherished her and protected her. And as Sansa reading the story, Sansa's going to probably put herself in Nerys's shoe. That's the one she's going to have the most in common with in a scenario like this. When she reads Florian and Jonkiel, she's not picturing herself as Florian. She's picturing herself as John Kiel, right? So she's picturing herself as Nerys here probably. And so... And she's not picturing Joffrey as Aegon she either. should. She's
1: picturing <laughs> Joffrey as Amon, right, yeah. Which Ned
0: was <laughs> like, no, you got that wrong. And at the time, like, we weren't sure about Joffrey when that line was spoken either. The red flags were there, but he hadn't gone nearly off the deep end yet.
1: It's one thing to not be a great hero. It's another thing to be a terrible villain. Yes. You don't assume so, There's something in the middle that Joffrey could have been. Yeah, you know? he looked
0: bad, but he didn't look murderous and psychopathic Monstrous. at that point. Yeah. But oops, he was. Yeah. Which is also fairly true for Aegon, though probably not true... In this era, Aegon's murderousness seemed to come out more gradually. He just less and less restrained, especially as more and more power went to him. And of course, at this point, he was pretty far from the throne. All right, let's take a break here. Say hello and thanks to our sponsor, Smile Brilliant. Something to consider about wider teeth. It's kind of an interesting thought. There's a lot of ways to improve the way you look, to look better. Beauty standards, though are different around the world. What's considered handsome or beautiful or good looking, it changes in some ways, depending on where you are, who you are, who you're with, your culture, your friends. But I've never heard of a culture or a trend or a country where white teeth were bad, (laughs) where that's a negative. It might not always be the best possible thing, but it's pretty much always a good thing. It's Maybe the most universal positive. Maybe I'm sure you can come up with some other ones that are just as good. But in terms of basic things like that, I really can't think of anything that's quite so simple as white teeth equals good. I mean, certain cultures don't even like muscles. You know, certain cultures don't even want, you know, like bald looks good. In some cultures, it looks bad in others and or in halfway in between. There's a lot of versions here, but really white teeth. It's just good, period, universal, simple.
2: Here's interesting, Aziz. Hmm. In medieval Japan, white teeth were considered ugly and women used to use roots and inks to stain their teeth. Well, black.
0: slap me blind and call me stupid. So unless you're medieval Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's always they an probably exception. didn't like beards either. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, look to History of Westeros for the obscure counterexamples, even hey, in hey, our hey. sponsors. <laughs> but see, you got to look really obscure to find a counterexample. White teeth, almost always a good thing. 99.9% of the time. (laughs) So Smile Brilliant has a lot of ways to keep your teeth white. Not just the whitening trays, which I am in the process of. I'm a little past halfway point now. I've been a little shy about showing my pictures, but I'm going to. I I committed to do that and I will. So you can very clearly see the difference. Whitening trays, night guards, all sorts of professional oral, oral care products. Everything you need, you can get from Smile Brilliant it's worth it. You want to take care of your teeth, not just because you'll have health problems if you don't, but because if you do, it provides benefits. People will notice that smile. They'll notice those white teeth and say, hey, look at that. That's cool. That's nice. That person looks extra good because of their nice teeth. You can go to smilebrilliant.com and use the code Westeros to save 20%. Fresh in your breath, fresh in your teeth, fresh in your look, 20% off using the code Westeros, smilebrilliant.com. Get it. You have a Couple things from the chat last week, Sean, you wanted to address, cool.
1: Go for it. Devoted to Mariah, she pointed out the idea that maybe wherewood trees or undead trees yeah, like, oh, that's kind that's of a, a cool idea. idea. Like they vampire kind of trees. Pale skin and they're like fed blood and have red, you know, faces that are kind of... But I mean, if not like and...
0: entirely accurate, it's a great way to conceive of it. It's like it works. I like that. That's great.
1: Paul pointed out some, the episode was on blood magic and something we just didn't even touch on was the faceless men. Is that blood magic? Cutting off faces and reusing them? I don't know.
0: Yeah, so... because like when Arya attaches the face to her, it's there's blood. But it's just her yeah. blood. Like they have to, she has to cut her own face, and then it merges. So yeah, I, I think you could argue that could be blood magic. Graham suggested that my drinks each
1: week be called Riz Fizz. <laughs> <laughs>
3: just to get that in. <laughs> yes.
0: I like it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Cur- and finally, Cur- another thought. I think this also came from Devoted from Mariah. Visions. Okay. So like, I don't know if exactly. I'm not going to exactly quote her, and I might have like taken it my own direction, or whatever. But just the idea that. I made a joke about like hair magic, like what you're sacrificing things for the sake of magic. So it might be blood or if you burn someone alive, does that count? And I joked that, you know, Danny and the pyre hatching the eggs might've been, you know, 60% fire magic, 30% blood magic and 10% hair magic. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if she sacrificed her hair. But the the fact is that she would have looked bald and as a young girl and might even, in a blurry vision, not been clearly a girl. In fact, a vision of her, might have been mistaken for Egg. Someone having a vision of Danny hatching those dragons might have thought they were seeing Egg in his shaved head as a young boy. If Daron or someone else misinterpreted or missaw what you see what I'm saying, and that might have led to Egg trying to huh. set things on fire. That's great. No, that's
0: fantastic. That's a fantastic yeah. idea because we've definitely. The idea of prior Targaryens dreaming of the egg hatching ceremony, thinking it's them, but really seeing Danny, that is. That idea has been around and I love that idea. They they dreamt of something else. They dreamt of Danny and thought it was them. And so they tried to fulfill what she did. I never thought about how the missing hair would really add to the genderless or difficulty in determining the gender of the person. But you add to that by throwing in how it does look like Egg who shaved his head. Maybe he didn't shave mm-hmm. his head when he was king. That might be a flaw in it, but still.
1: But someone might've had the vision when he was young. Yeah, okay. If Darren yeah, had yeah, the yeah, vision yeah. when Egg was, even if Egg grows up to have his hair, in his mind, that's how his vision of Egg appears. Or maybe yeah. Egg
0: has the vision of vision himself and sees, okay, well, that's still he sees himself, even though the hair thing might confuse him. But he's like, well, that's clearly me because there's no hair, and like, well, who else? What other Targaryen could that be? Yeah. So yeah. Also, yeah. do we
1: even know if Egg kept shaving his head? I can imagine. No, we have... don't.
0: He might have kept shaving yeah. it. Well, except, maybe he did for fun, but I don't. Well,
1: I think
2: artwork amongst a artwork of, of Egg on the fifth shows him with hair, and okay. that was that was created in consultation and it has descriptions from George for all of them. So I'm pretty sure if I. Went Went to Amux notes that he published for it for that for those characters, it might
0: have said that. I still think the idea works, though, as we yeah. said, though, but but it doesn't yeah. quite yeah. work, even it if you grow his out later. Case.
1: <laughs> you're right. Darren's, yeah, yeah, for sure. But Darren still could have the vision be confused yeah. by the vision in his youth in that's eggs' true. youth. You know,
0: that's a really good idea, very good catch. I like that a lot. That's a detail I hadn't considered. Brings us a little closer to that.
2: You say you haven't considered that theory, and I feel confident that if I went through the hundreds of hours of content <laughs> we have, I have, you yeah. have.
3: Okay. I, yeah.
2: I, I, I honestly think you have, but <laughs> I still like being reminded because I think it's a brilliant idea. But I'm just, had to, I'm just like, you know, <laughs>
0: like, oh, let's, maybe let's I have heard that, that before. Right? <laughs> <laughs> You're right, though, Shay, that has happened a couple times where, like, someone said something, like, oh, that's a really good idea. And then I go back to one of our old episodes and, like, I said
3: that. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I did think of that, too. You know, that has happened.
3: Oh. So sometimes sometimes it,
1: it takes a couple considerations to, co- yeah. to congeal. Yeah, you know, yeah. To become yeah. Headcanon even,
0: yeah. yeah. absolutely. Let's talk about knighting and Kingsguard. We know, he, we don't know when he was knighted, and we don't, and we, but we do know when he joined the, King, joined the Kingsguard. And it was all still in this same year of 153. Well, not the knighting, but the Kingsguard. Since he excelled at all forms of knightly combat from an early age, he was winning tournaments as a teenager. We don't have any specifics, but he was probably knighted at like 15 or 16. Very young, but not, not the youngest ever, which was Damon Blackfire at age 12. We do know that Aegon III was big on keeping the commons occupied. He very famously canceled his... Coming of age party when he turned sixteen that they were going to throw for him, and told them to just give all the food to the commoners. He's like, "I don't want this party. Give it all to the commons. <laughs> That's going to be my reign." Bread and food. Who did that? Aegon the Third. Aegon the Third. came of age. So yeah. notch up in my. Book, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Sean's like, "Good job, Aegon the third. Yeah. So decent chance he had a lot of tournaments because he was big on giving entertainment and spending on the commons, which would have given. Aemon a lot of opportunity to build his reputation, show off his skills, joust in front of people, which would, of course, also make Aegon his brother, a little surly, perhaps. We know that he probably got Dark Sister before he joined the King's Guard. Daemon Targaryen, Prince Daemon from House of the Dragon, got Dark Sister at age 16 from Jaharis, the old king. I'm guessing it was a very similar thing for Aemon. Aemon turned 16 in the year 152. It could have been around then, maybe maybe a year earlier. But his father's hand to the king, this king that he has some things in common with, is in charge. Aegon Third probably signed off on it, but my head headcanon is that it was his dad's idea. like, my son is a really good warrior. He's earned Dark Sister, don't you think, king? And king's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I can easily see him just shrugging and be like, yeah, give it to him, sure. Yeah, he's earned it, fine. What's next? <laughs> Moving on, you know. I, I like that idea a lot. And Viserys is the son of Damon. So it was his own dad that wielded Dark Sister 2. So he would be even maybe more cognizant of this parallel between father and grand or grandfather and, and grandchild here, with him being in between. Little bit of shades of Jamie and Cersei here, though, huh? You've got Jamie joined the King's Guard in parts so he could be near Cersei. It was Cersei's idea, but Jamie was like, Oh yeah, good idea. And then it backfired because Cersei had to go back to Castle Rock, where Jamie would have been if he hadn't joined the King's and Jamie had to stay in King's Landing. It was like Whoops, and now you're stuck because you don't leave the King's Guard, right? Even though Tywin wanted you to. But Nina points out that it's even closer to Loras and Marjorie. Yes, the twin thing, the sibling connection and rumors about romance fits Jaime and Cersei better. But Marjorie and, Ty- and Loras may be closer to the actual truth because I believe Eamon and Aerys never hooked up. And there's a good chance they never even considered it. Loras and Marjorie certainly didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> Another factor is
1: Loris was had a little more choice about joining the King's Guard. That's true. Jamie didn't really have a lot of choice.
0: That's that's true as well. Yeah.
1: He was too naive to realize it or to think otherwise. But if he had been like, no, nah, I don't want to, uh, between Tywin and the King, I don't know. So if Tywin, well, Tywin really would have been, been
0: like, yeah, I don't join the King's Guard. But yeah, they you're right. Yeah. Jamie was all stars in his eyes, like, yes. Kingsguard. Yes, that's what all the great knights do. I want to be like Arthur Dane and Eamon the Dragon Knight. And this is definitely, he, he almost certainly thought about Aemon when he when he joined, especially because of the, the parallels here to, to Cersei. In fact, Cersei might have even brought his name up, knowing that his, her brother was saw that man as a particular idol or as a, a figure to admire.
1: By the way, I think that was a, another note, another time that he appeared was Jamie reading through the book with the Book of Deeds. Is that what it's called?
0: The White Book, yeah. and
1: yeah, and and he's like, I can't believe I'm in the same book as Aemon the Dragon Knight. You know, yeah, was, like a thought he had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, he really wants this second part of his life to be worthy of that <laughs> level of of knighthood. He's really come around on it. Jamie's going from naive to disillusioned to back into it. He's like, well, no, I really should be a good knight. Like, I really can be a good knight. Actually, he's kind of inspired by Brienne. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. And Aemon, but and Aemon is part of that inspiration because Aemon's the one that provides that historic inspiration. Like Brienne's probably inspired by him too. Maybe not though. Maybe, I don't, know, I don't know what she thinks of him. Like probably though, because we found like nobody that doesn't think he's great. Yeah. <laughs> Either they haven't weighed in or they think he's great. Like I, I can't think of someone saying, actually, Eamon wasn't that great. He was, it was just an exaggeration. But back to Loras and Marjorie. Nina writes, Loras did not just join the Kingsguard because the Tyrell faction wanted Marjorie to have a protector against Joffrey, which is part of the aspect here, eh? Aemon protecting his sister against their brother. On a personal level, Loris was very much traumatized by the murder of Renly. It's easy to imagine Loris' famous comment, when the sun sets, no candle can replace it, which, by the way, we will be reading shortly, because he's saying that there's never anyone he's going to love as much as that. So he's not giving up anything. He's not giving up a future romance, because to him, that door is closed. The sun is set on that. Maybe if Loris were a little older, he wouldn't feel so dramatic about it. He might be like, okay, this is my first love. I'm only 17, maybe, you know. But who, who, am, I to ju- who am I to say that's how Loris would feel later? I don't know that. I think...
1: Think about how Robert felt later. He was still hung up on Lyanna,
0: right? Good point, good point. And Eamon probably never... I don't know if he was in love with Nerys, but he certainly loved her and he may have been in love with her. And if that's the case, then yeah, he's not going to ever, no one's ever going to hold a candle to that. So he's just going to be with her in whatever way he can be rather than half-assing it with some candle when the sun is still shining, even if he can't be as close to that sun as he wants. Here is that quote from A Storm of Swords. This is Loras and Tyrion.
2: Seventeen and beautiful and already a legend. Half the girls in the Seven Kingdoms want to bed him, and all the boys want to be him. If you will pardon my asking, sir, why would anyone choose to join the Kingsguard at seventeen?
1: Prince Amon the Dragonite took his vows at seventeen, Solora said, and your brother Jamie was younger still.
2: I know their reasons. What are yours? The honor of serving besides such paragons as Meryn Trant and Boros Blount, <laughs> he gave the boy a mocking grin. To guard the king's life, you surrender your own. You give up your lands and titles, give up hope of marriage, children.
1: House Tyrell continues through my brothers, Sir Laura said. It's not necessary for a third son to wed or breed.
2: Not necessary, but some find it pleasant.
1: What of love? The son has said... No candle can replace it. Mm,
0: powerful stuff there. Tyrion's just really trying to get a reaction out of Loras, but Loras will not do anything to dishonor Renly's memory by speaking in anything but a grave tone, speaking with severe, severity, only hold him in high regard. And Nerys didn't die like Renly. Well, she did, but not like Renly, and not till after Aemon. But any chance they had a romance, romance was dead, if it ever existed. So that sun setting, this is very much a model for what Aemon and Nerys might have been feeling. As you can see, there are huge elements of both these familiar brother, sister, queen, Kingsguard stuff going on, especially as you mentioned before, Sean, with the other common element of Robert and Aegon IV being so similar. So the king, although Aegon isn't king yet, is still the sim- it still works because he will be king w- with all these thing- people still around, all these elements still in place.
1: I'm not real sure about this, but in my mind, I I'm kind of with you. I don't think that You don't think that uh, Amon and Nerys had an affair or whatever, but I'm not even sure they had romantic love. Yeah, oh, I I, agree, yeah. yeah. I I think that, but I do think that he might have joined the Kingsguard or felt he needed to be on the Kingsguard or whatever to keep his brother in check. Yes. I, I the, the thing is, his brother didn't become king for quite a while after that, though. Like when Correct. he joined the Kingsguard, he wouldn't have been thinking like, I need to stay close to Aegon and keep him in check. That, Correct. So, you're right. The, I'm the, reevaluating my thought right. now he, that I And Aegon so. wasn't
0: in the line of succession. It didn't look like he would ever be king. So you're right. So being in the Kingsguard would not, what might have in the short term, it would have done the opposite of the Jamie Cersei thing, where it would have taken him, a, taken him away from his sister because he would be going to guard the king and the king's children, not the king's nephews and nieces which they're important too but they're far less important so yeah his duties would be more about Aegon III and then young Garon and young Baylor. where
1: where physically would Amon and Nares and Aegon have been living would they have the been Red living keep. in King's Landing or Dragonstone Red or keep, yeah right keep
0: okay their father was the Prince of Dragonstone because he was for a while he was the heir until Aegon III had his own kids but Viserys was hand, so he didn't live at Dragonstone. He was, had to live at the Red Keep. So his kids probably lived at the Red Keep too. And we know they trained together, so it's a good question. But it seems like Dragonstone was kind of empty in this era because there was no Targaryen mm. residing there and no there were dragons. no dragons. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of dragons, but by 153, there weren't. By the time of this wedding, or like I said, the last dragon died the same year at this wedding. Symbolic way to kick off this new era even more by having dragon die, Aemon joins the King's Guard, Aegon and Nerys get married. He did join the Kingsguard before they got married? No, right after. Right after they yeah. got married? It was pretty clearly connected. Like, okay, these two are married. There's no other sibling for you to marry. You could join the Kingsguard. They could have had him marry one of his cousins, though. Because remember, by this time, they were all born. They had had Elena, Reina, and Dana had all been born. So there were three Targaryen girls to they marry. They were still young, though, right? Yeah, yeah. but not, out of, not the kind of young that...
1: I mean, they could still be betrothed even yeah, if Yeah, they were like 10 years, 10 years younger,
0: but... younger than Eamon. Like that's not a like yeah. to them that's not a big deal. They would just wait until he they were older or something, especially cuz they with so many kids coming around, they wouldn't have been in a rush. But he was dutiful and so good with the sword, I guess Yeah, they we don't know which his family like, members encouraged him towards this and and whether like he Sean's how much idea he wanted it.
2: From earlier that there was a formative Kingsguard that helped raise Eamon and yeah. he was inspired to join because of a father figure. I, I I we just don't know who that Kingsguard was, but I think that seems like what I, I believe.
0: I like that idea a lot. It's definitely like not something we can point to as a certainty because there's just no names given here. But it's it works so well. I mean, it's a great idea.
2: And especially I think about like in House of the Dragons, seeing Kristen Cole fill that role for those young boys. And like,
0: Mm -hmm. I just
2: see it play out. And like, yeah, of course, these people that are going to be around them all the time are going to play nursemaid for nanny at some point and train them at later. They're going to be so close to them. It just makes sense.
0: Yeah, I like that idea a lot. That's not one of the ideas that either Nina or I had. I love, I love that y'all inserted this here. It fits really well. Head cannon <laughs> until I hear otherwise. George, if you're listening, put that in Fire and Blood too. You're not. He's not listening. <laughs> uh, if he even gives us the name of the Lord Commander, I'm gonna be like, that's clearly
1: that's, that's the, the, the guy. guy. <laughs> if we get
0: one name, it's like we'll latch on to that one. <laughs> yeah, not that there won't be more comparisons between Jamie Loris and, and Eamon, but. Just to round up, we got extremely highborn. All three of them are really handsome and super talented, like generationally talented, knighted extremely young, joined the Kingsguard extremely young, like teenagers. And in all three cases, joining the Kingsguard went beyond simply being a great warrior. There was other reasons generally to do with their family, right? So,
1: Family and or political reasons beyond fighting prowess or loyalty, which also is maybe more of a standard than fighting prowess. True. So lots of stuff there.
2: Yeah, and like you said, all three s- brothers to a <laughs> sister queen, even if again yeah. Aemon didn't join when she was queen yet, but still. Yep. They all had that experience.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty different. Like different you got different versions of a similar song. Like these are cover ver- cover songs. <laughs> different Remixes. three different bands, yeah. Nina writes Aemon's choice to join the King's Guard probably also had Viserys' full approval. By 153, Aegon the 3rd had secured the succession with two sons. And there was no reason to believe that neither of those sons would have sons of their own. As it turns out, neither of those sons had sons of their own. But there was no reason to think that at the time, especially when there were also three daughters to marry them to, which that didn't happen either. (laughs) But hey, they couldn't have seen that coming. Viserys had lived through the dance, and he had every reason to know that overly large royal dynasties could bring dissension and disaster. But like this idea, a lot mean is basically suggesting the powers that be maiming Viserys' hand, and maybe Aegon the third king agreeing to this. Maybe it was even his idea. They were like, we got to make sure there aren't too many Targaryen pairings here. That's why they didn't marry Aemon to Elena or Dana or Reyna, is because they didn't want to create the conditions for another Dance of the Dragons where there's just too many Targaryens, too many Targaryen children. Yes, there'd be no dragons this time, and that's a severe detriment to the war happening, which that's a good thing. But still, they're not going to take any chances. These are young young people who lived through a traumatic war. They're not necessarily going to f- look at it as with hard, ruthless logic. There's going to be a lot of emotion behind it. They're not gonna, they don't want to get themselves in any situation that feels like it's heading towards another civil war. So there's going to be intelligence, but also trauma behind these decisions. So Viserys might have looked at it and been like, hmm, three different Targaryen male-female pairings, that's too much. Let's cut that down to two and have Aemon join the King's Guard. You could see why this was very engineered, very carefully suggested to the different Targaryen children, like they were pushed in a certain direction, maybe incentivized certain ways, maybe goaded, maybe, who knows? But I, I don't think it was taken lightly. Gaslit, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I've written here. It's a topic that's worth a deeper look some other time. That the Targaryens were looking to avoid the conditions that led to the dance, and that, what did they do to prevent it a second time? They didn't, because there was the Blackfire rebellions. <laughs> so they really, whatever they did, well, they got Aegon the Unworthy in charge, and they just couldn't stop. Whatever things they would have tried to do to prevent it, he just did the opposite. He. Specifically, did the things that you would want to do if you wanted to make another dance? You do what Egon the Unworthy did. So, yeah, that didn't work out so great.
1: One other X factor we have to account for in all this now is the potential of decisions being driven by prophecies, by oh, dreams.
0: Oh, yeah, very good Someone, point. Yeah.
1: Someone might have just had some vision that Amon is going to save the king. All right, well, he better be on the king's guard. You know, it's like oh, yeah. they, and he yeah. ends up saving Baylor or whatever. So yeah, I, I could go on and on. But you could see the types of things that someone might have had in a vision that made them believe that this couple needed to get married, or this person needs to be on the King's Guard or mm. whatever else. You know.
0: And you could also see, if you look at the Viserys, Daemon, Rhaenyra triad that caused so much conflict within itself, a lot of it driven by Daemon. Some people on the outside might look at Aegon, Neris, and Aemon and be like all the parallels between Eamon and Damon and be like, he's a young, badass knight with dark sister. <laughs> we don't want that to happen again. Like, Eamon's nothing like Damon, personality-wise. Skill-wise, there's some comparisons. But temperament-wise, not so much. But, that, but they didn't necessarily know that. When he's a five-year-old, like, well, maybe he'll get more violent. They, they can't, again, they don't want to take chances. You can't back out of a marriage when they've already got kids. Like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, well. Actually, this marriage was a mistake, so we're going to undo it. Send your <laughs> children to the wall, you know, they their babies. You know, they can't do that. Here's where we got to flip it a little bit, though. We as detailed, thorough readers of A Song of Ice and Fire have had plenty of criticisms of the institution of the Kingsguard and how it shelters some of the worst behavior. Because when the king is great, Kingsguard protecting them, that's a great thing. But when the king is awful, they're protecting an awful person and enabling this awful behavior. King Harry's best example we have because of how close in history it is. But later in history, in this story, it's going to become nearly the same problem with a different type of villain With when Aegon the Unworthy becomes king. So how much are we going to put that on Aemon? At this point... He's naive like Jamie was. It's hard to like blame him for it. But later in life, something to keep in mind. Are we going to hold him responsible for not standing up to his brother more? Are we going to say, like, we hold Jamie in regard? We say Jamie did the right thing. I think most of us think Jamie did the right thing by killing Ares, if not the overwhelming majority of us think Jamie did the right thing. Westeros is not so sure about that, though. So the pressures are very different. The social pressures are very different. Eamon's in a similar spot. He's a king's guard. He took that vow, that oath. It means so much. And it's not just an oath for the king. It's an oath to the gods. These things are all wrapped up in the religion and the piety as well. Like knighthood, is, in, you're, you're anointed in the oils. You do your vigil to the faith. It's all very religious. Is he going against the gods? It's not just the same as, well, what's being a good human here? So we struggle with this because vows in this era are nothing like vows in our era. <laughs> they take them way more seriously and people feel more bound to them for, for most things. You know. I'm, of course, right. making averages here. There's still people who take vows very seriously in, in, in modern times, but I think it's safe, to, safe and fair to say that Westeros, they were more meaningful.
1: There's other little factors too, like the, the Kingsguard are maybe a little closer to the king and the happenings of the government and also that kings can potentially do worse things. I'm just, in my mind, I'm wondering about like the Secret Service. Do we hold the Secret Service responsible because the president went to war or some policy he had that we don't like or something like that? Is it the Secret Service's fault? Were they supposed to? Assassinate him, or like lock him in his room so he couldn't sign that bill or whatever. I don't know. I, th- yeah. I feel like the Secret Service is an institution that's protecting the president, and the things the president does are his I, fault. I mean, not the Secret Service's I think fault. a
2: little bit, but I, I would be curious if there what situations have been where like a president beat his wife in front of the free
1: Secret Service,
0: or if a president was yeah. going to push a button yeah. that would yeah. blow up a city. Yeah. Yeah. They would like
1: launch nuclear, yeah. which yeah. is what Aries then, was going to do. Like, especially if you didn't have Congress's approval, yeah. then I think. Like, and maybe you should blame the circuit. There was blame the Secret Service. You so.
0: remember the movie Hunt for Red October, right? That was loosely based yeah. on something that really happened. There was a Russian subcommander that refused nuclear orders to launch his nukes. And if he hadn't refused that order, the world we live in right now would be very different. Yeah. So there is yeah. a, almost a modern, and to me, that's about yeah. as close as we can get. He didn't. Uh, he didn't kill. Whoever the Russian premier was ordering to do that at the time, obviously he's in a sub he couldn't have, <laughs> but mm-hmm. he, he's like, no, nope, we got to be sure. <laughs> he's like, we got to be really absolutely hundred yeah. percent sure. And we're not. So no, I'm not launching nukes and good it's for him. It's worth noting that, in, <laughs> Thank you that in the military,
1: even like at a low level, like a sergeant or, you know, a captain telling privates to, you know, attack some hill or execute prisoners or something like that, soldiers are expected. To do the morally correct thing. Yeah. If they're given immoral orders, they're expected to not follow you. You follow orders, but not immoral orders.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. Like, Germ- now, like I know Germany went through a lot of that but, after World War II yeah. in particular. Yeah.
1: You could also argue in this world. That what the king does is moral. That he defines morality. That that God approves him. Yeah. And he can, and again, sometimes presidents try to claim that too. That like I can't do something illegal because I'm a president. Yeah. I don't buy that argument. Yeah. So. <laughs> From
0: kings or presidents. Yeah. But a king is closer to being right than a president on that argument. They're both. I yes, agree with you that yes. they're
1: both wrong. But and the but people this, the, under a king yeah. are more likely to look at it that way. Yes. Than the people yes. Under absolutely.
0: President. So it, it's true. Like I agree with the they were too naive to know what they were doing when they joined the King's Guard argument, especially considering the three people we're most talking about were so young, Jamie, Loris, and Eamon. Yeah. Jamie's girls in the army
1: are probably too naive to know what they're doing yeah, also. And Jamie <laughs>
0: was like 15. So it's like, ugh, yeah, even even more. So they think they're joining to help. What they're actually signing up to do is they're taking a vow to not interfere with the very thing they most wanted to stop. So they've signed away their rights to be a hero a hero when the realm most needs it. Jamie decided to do it anyway. He's like, yeah, no, I'm going to still... He didn't think of himself as a hero, and the realm certainly didn't, but we do. <laughs> I think most of us like that. Even if Jamie isn't a hero, that act was heroic. Yeah, I think most of us would yeah, agree that. Yeah. And so you're doomed to... You've doomed yourself with a vow to defend injustices that you... Thought you were signing up to stop. It's like the soldier jump. You sign up to be a soldier and you think you're gonna go out in the world and, and kill bad guys, but you are ordered to kill good guys. And you're like, wait, are we the baddies? And <laughs> <laughs>
2: peep show on.
3: Huh? Yes, where I
0: peep, yeah, I peep showed for you there. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the quote from a storm of swords where Jamie really realizes that what he signed up for is that. That dilemma. That dilemma that conundrum, that suffering.
2: A king has no secrets from his king's guard. Relations between Ares and his queen had been strained during the last years of his reign. They slept apart and did their best to avoid each other during the waking hours. But whenever Ares gave a man to the flames, Queen Raella would have a visitor in the night. The day he burned his mace and dagger hand, Jaime and John Derry had stood at guard outside her bedchamber whilst the king took his pleasure. You're hurting me! They had heard Rael a cry through the oaken door. You're hurting me! In some queer way, that had been worse than Lord Chelsted screaming. We are sworn to protect her as well, Jamie had finally been driven to say.
0: We are, Derry allowed, but not from him. Oof. And that makes Derry sound really cold, but Derry's probably had the same moment of realization 20, 30 years before, and he's just, like, had to switch his heart off. To deal with it. Or he is that cruel. I, I don't know. I'm just saying like, I don't know. I don't make any assumptions about Barry there. He, yeah. he may have been Jamie 20 years before in that same thing Like, wait, not realizing what he'd gotten into. And you see the noblest guys like, join this institution. You say, hey, but all these guys who were considered the, the most noble, the best, they join this institution. So why would they ever even question it until it's too late? Yeah.
1: I, I do wonder though, you say they don't have any choice. Like the choice they have might require sacrificing their own life. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think they do like it, Jamie could have busted in that bedchamber and stabbed Aries in the back <laughs> while, while he's in the middle of having sex. He, done, and, he could have done. Yeah. And he almost certainly gets executed for that. John Derry might come in and fight him. And maybe Jamie like Kills John Derry both, and yeah. the city and is on the run, but it, it I don't know if that is a better way to serve justice or honor his vows or where he would have gone as a hero, but he does have that choice. And maybe even a better choice would be to lay out the accusation in public where again, he might get executed for it, but at least more people are suddenly aware of it or more likely to stand up mm-hmm. like he did. Uh, I, I'm not sure. And and I don't necessarily condemn Jamie or whoever for this, but I I'll, I just want to point out that angle that it's not completely true. They had no choice. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I'll agree with that. Brianne, no choice, no chance. Yeah. Like he has no chance of surviving standing up to Aries for this injustice.
0: Neither would Brian, and Brian would have done it anyway. Yeah. Maybe that's what the, maybe that's the lesson that, that Jamie should have taken then. Yeah. Jamie learning that extremely rotten truth, it very likely applies to Eamon in some way. Like at some point, he may have had similar realizations about what he had really signed up for, about what this really means. It wouldn't have been early on, perhaps, because of, unlike, Jamie, he wasn't King's Guard to a rotten king right away. That came later. Well, for Jamie, it was pretty much where he started and continued because Robert was pretty rotten and he took over after Ares. Cause yeah, for Eamon, the circumstances were more gradual. His brother was going in that direction, but his brother wasn't king and didn't look like he would be. So he went from being maybe naive about knighthood to joining the King's Guard and his disillusionment's a little harder to track than Jamie's, but I I'm guessing it was similar. And it may have even come back around like it did with Jamie, where he starts taking it seriously again and that's ends up being everything he's about. It ends up being his whole life. So his duties might have kept him away from his siblings in the early going, but later it brings him back to them once, once they're closer to the top. And the drama would intensify majorly. In the 20 years before Aegon becomes king, the parade of bastards begins. As he gets older and especially after he becomes king, more often it becomes... Noble women, but early on, it's more random people. Their rank goes up as he gets closer to the throne, basically. He has a bastard in 155, in 156, 157, 158, <laughs> etc. Each one of these was an insult. Now, now, I want you to think about this before you answer. What's it. the next one? Yeah. 159? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. 160? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Each one of these was an insult to Neres, which Aemon likely felt as well, but there's just no stopping him. What are they going to do? Was he going to kill his own brother? I mean, I guess he had that choice. That's another one where he could have. Yes, he could have done that, but I don't think that's a good answer to the problem. In 157, the king who would be called Aegon the Dragonbane died of consumption, aka tuberculosis. It's always a big deal when a king dies, but with that disease, the silver lining is there's no question that it was foul play. It was tuberculosis. Pretty straightforward. Prince Aemon would serve under five kings, and this was the first none of the rest would be so simple. All the others, there would be questions. And with a guy who takes his job so seriously, you're going to find yourself maybe in a Sir Barristan situation where Barrison blames himself for Robert being killed by a boar and Barrison blames himself for maybe even Ares dying. And it's like, all these Kings have died under my watch. Like I'm a Kings guard. Like what kind of a Kings guard am I? The sort of self questioning, like you're actually really good at this man. But part of the reason they're so good at it is that they're constantly trying to be better and questioning whether, whether their best is good enough.
1: For better or worse, some people take responsibility for things that aren't their responsibility. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you work yourself too hard or get taken advantage for that. But sometimes you make everyone's lives better for yeah. making sure things are done right. Yeah. And
0: Eamon seems like that type of person. Um, again, maybe projecting, but that's, what I, that's how I envision him. That's where my version of his character falls in my mind. So Doran, let's talk about the conquest with Doran. We have we've dealt the, with the conquest separately in the episode on King Darren specifically. So we won't rehash too much, but duels and minor conflicts here and there can mean a lot, even tourneys, especially if you dominate them like we're told Eamon did. But to be a truly legendary warrior, to be an all-timer, you have to actually fight in a war or two. Eamon may not have seen much or any action against enemies actually trying to kill him prior to Dorne, but that certainly changed when the same year he ascended, they invaded. Eamon was 21, the king was 14, Daron likely trained with Aemon, being the best swordsman at court, and Daron being a swordsman himself, he fought with Blackfire. They may have even trained Valyrian steel on Valyrian steel, though maybe more likely they trained with turny blades so they wouldn't cut each other with those dangerously sharp weapons. But hey, I don't know. I don't know what they did. What the Dragon Knight thought of the invasion personally is hard to say. He may have thought it better for Doran to submit. I don't know what he thought of like the Song of Ice and Fire, if that was relevant to him. Or maybe he thought it was just—it was unconscionable to attack another country unprovoked like this. Maybe that was very unknightly. Being a devotee to duty makes it difficult to divine his feelings on the matter. He might just be like, "The king says it's the thing to do. We're doing it." Prince Baylor, the future King Baylor the Blessed, almost certainly spoke against it, but he was only thirteen, so he may not have been super articulate about it, and certainly his objections were ignored. If Eamon, thinking about that, like how would Eamon, given his personality, how would he disagree with the king? W- or would he? Like Barriston was willing to disagree with Robert at council when his opinion was asked for. But I would think it's the kind of thing that would be reluctant to do. Like you're usually supposed to back the king.
1: Barristan was already a legend and the, the, the Lord Commander, yes, right? Not yes. a teenager that just got on the King's Guard And yeah, so I think he did. But I think that he did not do it in public. I think he did it in private.
0: Okay. Yeah, that tends to be where I fall as well. Now, maybe with his brother, he may have lost his temper once or twice, and and they may have been disagreements in in public. But even that, I think he would have tried to keep that behind closed doors to keep the drama down. Because I think that, that would also be more what Narius wanted. I don't think Narius would want these big public fights, and a lot of their fights would be on her behalf. That keeps the drama down. That keeps the gossip down. She doesn't want people gossiping about her, probably. I don't know. But he did fight with Aegon publicly at, the, at their wedding. That's one thing to keep in mind. Though he wasn't in the Kingsguard yet, so his, maybe his sense of duty might have been different then. His duty would have been all to his sister and less to his brother, who's not even the king yet. And of course, there's always more to the story. Here's a twist that may not be a twist, but it might be a huge twist. One very interesting possible piece of drama is Drazenko Rogare had married Princess Aleandra Martell of Dorne. Drazenko was Lysandra the Magnificent's brother. Lara was Lysandro's daughter. So Drazenko is great uncle to Aemon and Aegon and Ares. We don't know if Drazenko and Aleandra had kids and if they continued House Martell, those children did. If they did, which is entirely possible, they're invading their cousins, which would most likely push it towards Eamon thinking this was unjust because they're invading their own family because those would be his aunts and uncles if they were just Drazenko and Aleander's kids or if another generation passed would be their cousins either way they would be kin
1: you know I wonder if that's even a reason why they might have thought there was something to this invade they may they might have thought we make this military success and then just make peace with our family that's already there. Maybe that would, it was an angle that they thought would help this be successful in the end.
0: Yeah, it's entirely possible. I sort of tend to lean towards the, them not being family because they had to submit to Daron and there's no mention of kin or family or the family yeah. connection but between them meant this and that or whatever. But it's possible enough that it's bears mention. Now, Aegon, on the other hand, I don't think he cared. He did fight in the war, too. He didn't distinguish himself. He just, you know, I'm sure he drew his sword and fought. But... I doubt he cared about the whole family angle stuff. He didn't care about how he treated his sister. Or he certainly wasn't going to care how he treated his cousins. Also, he invaded Dorne later when he was king, or, <laughs> or invaded, in quotes. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that later. So how did the actual conquest go? It began in 157. Didn't last long. The Dragon Knight's deeds were plentiful, though, even though it was short. While well, His brother's most notable deed was, he was the one to escort the Dornish noble hostages back to King's Landing after they surrendered. And, of course, he proceeded to sleep with one of them. So there were three assault groups to invade Dorne. One army for each of the two mountain passes, Prince's Pass for Lionel Tyrell, Boneway for King Daron, and a navy led by Oakenfist to head up the Greenblood. We're going to assume he was with King Daron, unless we learn otherwise. He'd be conspicuous because of his helm. He wasn't like Sandor Clegane size, but he was big. And of course, he had his Kingsguard attire. He had Dark Sister. He was always near the king, who also would have been very conspicuous with his golden, golden black dragon armor and black fire. And he was also a kind of a big guy. It's probably the first time ever that those two swords were wielded in close proximity to each other in real combat. Because yes, Visenya and Aegon wielded those two swords respectively, but they were on dragon back. They weren't like in the trenches fighting side by side with swords. So a little notable in in the history of these Valyrian steel blades. There would have been many who faced Aemon the Dragon Knight, wanting the glory of slaying the famed legend that he was. And of course, (laughs) killing the king in battle would have been pretty epic too. But of course, to get to the king, you have to get through the Dragon Knight first. I got to think that they're defending their country. There's all this motivation to be a hero, this motivation to to protect your family and your friends and your country. But still, when you come face-to-face with a legend, with his dragon helm and his size and his reputation and that Valyrian steel blade dripping blood, you might lose your nerve. You might like, actually, never mind. (laughs) Yeah, they would have heard the stories, even in Dorne. I mean, for sure. Because he was legendary not just for his skill, but for his righteousness. Like, he was a true knight. Some would have not have believed it. They were like, ah, those Targaryens, that's, they're just blowing hot air. They do that. With, even without dragons, they do that these days. But still, the truth would have met the legend there in the past that day or those days as the king's army advanced with the Dragon Knight at the front. They fought all their way to Sunspear and won there as well. But Rick and Stark... Heir to Winterfell was killed in one of the final battles. Remember that for later. It's going to come up again. There was an assassination attempt on Daron shortly after the submission. This is wild. Even after Sun- Sunspear submitted, because the Dornish rebels don't always follow the lead of their prince or princess. So an archer tried to snipe King Daron, poisoned arrow, took a shot at him. Eamon saw it, saw the archer, did something. Somehow he noticed it and jumped in front of the arrow. He probably wasn't holding his shield, or he probably would have just done that, which means they were maybe at some form of rest. Maybe they were camped or something like that. Still, really brave, shows the kind of man he was, like unthinking, jumps in front of an arrow. That is what Kingsguard are supposed to do. I mean, Talk about setting the standard for what Kingsguard are supposed to do. And it's a little similar to his namesake being killed by that crossbow bolt. Of course, no one even saw that bolt coming. That was a completely out of nowhere hit that wasn't even intended for Eamon. But it does remind us of that, Nina points out. And in in fact, that crossbow bolt may have been poisoned. We don't know because it it went through Eamon's neck, would have killed him anyway. So this arrow, even though it was also poisoned, didn't kill Eamon.
1: Every time I poison my crossbow bolt, I get a death kill anyway. (laughs) What a a waste of poison.
0: (laughs) So he needed advanced care. They, if it had been the era of dragons, he probably would have been airlifted out, but they had to ship him back to King's Landing where the war, while the rest of the war was wrapped up. It flared up again less than three years later. And the famous example of the 100 scorpions in the bed killed Lord Tyrell happened. The war immediately flared back up. By then, Prince Amon had recovered from the poisoning, so he was by the king's side again, presumably. He wasn't just redefining Targaryen knighthood, he was re- redefining knighthood all over Westeros with his bravery, with his skill, with his devotion to his duty. This time, a famous unnamed Dornish champion came face to face with him in one of the battles. It was apparently a big enough deal that it was worth mentioning, but not a big enough deal for us to get the name of this person. I presume we will get the name in Fire and Blood 2. George won't leave him unnamed when the detailed accounting of this engagement comes. And you wonder what that person was thinking. They're thinking, well, I'm great. I can beat this guy. It'll be glorious for me. Maybe he's damaged by that poison arrow and he's a little weaker than he would have been, even though a year or two has passed, maybe it did permanent damage to him. That's entirely possible. Perhaps it was an Uller. The Ullers had killed Queen Rhaenys and Meraxes, and maybe they were like, yeah, let's get another Targaryen. Maybe it was a Dane wielding Dawn, though that would be quite a detail to leave out. For that same reason, it may not have been like a Martell either or a particularly famous house, but maybe it could have been an Ironwood or a Fowler or a Will. Someone much from House Will is possible, given what's going to happen a little bit later. The Wills maybe have a grudge against him or all the Targaryens for reasons that you may already know, but I'll explain when we get to that section.
1: I like the idea that it was just a commoner who was a great warrior. Yeah, like Ma- Christie someone, someone like that. Yeah, maybe even someone who had served in, what do you call it, in mercenary companies and SOS or traveled the world or not necessarily someone with a, an age-old grudge or a, a standard knight. I, yeah. I, I like the idea of it being a more common person who just rose to the ranks as a warrior champion.
0: That's cool. Yeah, I like that idea. E- either way, when you have a scenario like that, it's almost like a Highlander situation where... Two people with great reputations come together. Only one of them is going to survive, and that mm-hmm. that survivor's reputation is going to be even greater afterwards. And a you know, the loser's reputation, their name is lost. <laughs> <laughs> At least this guy, yeah, that's for sure. However big a target that dragon helm and white cloak and valerian steel blade put on him, he defeated all challengers on the battlefield. That is now, when it comes from swords to swords clashing, he had no peer. But his skill at detecting intrigue, poisoned arrow jumping in front of a side. We don't know how skilled he was at cloak and dagger type stuff, at, inter, at intrigue, at backroom dealing and stuff like that, or how savvy he was in that regard. Maybe not very. Maybe not very. It just seems like the wouldn't doesn't think along those lines that much, so it'd be hard for him to put himself in the shoes of that type of thinker and thus anticipate their moves. Though that is what a King's Guard is supposed to be able to do. That doesn't mean it was his particular skill set. But he was elected Lord Commander at some point. I don't think he was yet. But he may have had that skill, which was what enabled him to be Lord Commander. Or he was Lord Commander because he was just so trusted and he was a Targaryen, and that was why. Either way, we discuss, again, like a lot of the Daron, the young dragon stuff. There's more detail in that episode. But the short version is, in the year 161, after the flare-up of hostilities, and after those went the Targaryen's way again, Dorn apparently was ready to talk peace again. Apparently. <laughs> but the Dornish used the parlay to spring an ambush and killed the king and several Kingsguard. But Prince Amon was captured alive after apparently killing two of the foes that were engaged in this ambush. Since he wound up in the hands of House Will, this was probably who captured him during the engagement. They probably got to hold on to their prisoner. But no matter who captured him, it's interesting that it happened at all. Not just because of how difficult it must have been, but because what do you think about this, Sean and Asha? You weigh in, too, if you want to. It seems a little peculiar. Like, it's almost like they wanted to capture him. Because it's like it's, a, it's, hard, it's like harder to capture a guy than to kill him in a spot like this, I think. When he's willing to fight to the death to save his king, and they would know that about him, it's almost like they wanted a hostage. And he'd be the only other Targaryen around. Like, they want to kill the king. So, they need a hostage to maybe prevent the blowback and to say, okay, now you won't be attacking us anymore because we have the Dragon Knight in captivity. Does that ring true to you? Or or am I missing something? Because the, the, the capturing part seems a little odd. Like, what would cause, like, he wouldn't surrender. Well, I mean, it could just depend this on this, on who this,
2: fought him, right?
0: So someone did surrender. Like, one of the King's Guard did surrender. It depends but on not the mercy him,
2: so. of the people who, who fought, like, you know, the, right? Yeah.
1: I think, I don't know if it was necessarily. A plan in the first place. It might have been a convenient thing that happened. But the the way I can see it happening, because I also can imagine from a distance, someone might think, oh, you live, but the king died. You live, but the other two, like, pretty convenient for you. It might look like something was set up or he didn't fight hard enough. That's why I pointed
0: out one of them did surrender and three of the others
1: were killed. I think he was good enough at fighting that they weren't able to kill him. If they're outnumbered in an ambush of this sort, they might have literally been outnumbered 10 to 1, right? It might have been like 100 people attacking a dozen. But eventually, he's the last one fighting, and there's 50 people around him in a circle. At that point, even if he doesn't surrender, it might be possible or more likely, they might realize like, hold on, he's a Targaryen. That's Aemon? Don't kill him. Mm. And he might still swing his sword, and they might back off, but eventually like he just collapsed in heat exhaustion or they just, you yeah. know, one guy's engaging with his sword and someone tackles a bump from behind and six people sit on him, and they're like, okay, we got you finally. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> okay. Comical. I think that, I think that he could have just fought them off until he was so extremely outnumbered. There's no way he could yeah, he passed out from blood loss, but didn't die. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of scenario. You're right. It doesn't have to be, they went into the idea of the cash, but I think maybe, but I think they would have maybe if they didn't go into the ambush with the plan of capturing him, they, I when like your idea they that can, they, had, they that, it, that it developed and they were like maybe we should capture him. Yeah, Nina tends to take your side that she's a little iffy on the idea of them planning to capture the dragon knight. I, I still hold on to the idea as a possibility because I think because there's definitely value in having a hostage. They had to know that this would be a really big deal. They just killed the king, you know, and the whole of Westeros would rise for that potentially, and they would want a way to push back against that or to stop it and something to, to curb that, something to curb their enthusiasm about revenge. <laughs> So that other king's guard who surrendered was also captured. We don't know what happened to him. <laughs> I guess he just, the, the, the West Westeros was like, we don't want him back. <laughs> like, <laughs> send him to the Wall. If, if we give him back to us, we're just going to send him to the Wall. So we're not paying. <laughs> There's no, his family could pay for him, but the crown's not paying for him. Like you said, it's shades of Arthur Dane at the Tower of Joy. Like, he may have been vastly outnumbered, but... He was gonna go down fighting. That doesn't mean he didn't pass out first or they threw a net yeah. on him or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Ropes. Still, it must have been difficult. However, he was captured, it couldn't have been like easy because <laughs> he did kill people in in the process. Neen also says it's it's not it's also important not to forget the huge psychological impact this event may have had on Aemon himself. While Aemon had served for a few years in the King's Guard under his uncle, Aegon the third, there was not much Amon was likely doing in the way of actively defending the king's life or fighting wars for him. Aegon the third's reign was Peaceful, even though it was troubled on a personal level, there wasn't like the threat of war or anything like that going on. So it was a peaceful time in terms of in terms of that. Under Darren the First, though, just immediately <laughs> the stability is tossed aside in favor of starting a war. So this is maybe when he's really tested. Like, yeah, Aemon was a Kingsguard for a long time, but but his job might have been kind of easy. Not that he didn't take it very seriously. Not that he didn't probably go beyond, go the extra mile, but there just wasn't that many threats when you get down to it. But here and on the battlefield, I mean, and assassination attempts, poison arrows, like constant threats, constant things going on. You, You wonder if maybe Aemon felt more alive, more useful until this, until his king is killed in front of him. That may have, it all comes crashing down and his failure is emphasized and yeah, like you said, Sean, people would be talking like, "How did you live?" He'd, he'd probably be like, "Yeah, I should be dead. I should have died with my king." No, you're not, you're not wrong. Like I didn't, he wouldn't agree with the treason part, but he would agree with the. He would feel some
1: guilt or shame about having not done enough.
0: Yeah, or whatever. The responsibility was his, and he it, and he failed. And remember that Aegon and Visenya created the King's Guard because of Dornish assassins. That was like the first impetus for it, because he had his personal guard. And Visenya was just realizing how they were not sufficient. And it was Dornish assassins that were the threat at the time because of all the damage they had done to Dorn. I mean, the Dornish assassins were fairly justified, (laughs) but still Mm -hmm. that's beside the point. (laughs) And Eamon might have been aware of that and been like, oh, I should have been more aware or wary of this type of warfare from the Dornish and maybe was kicking himself for not seeing it coming, maybe not speaking up. But again, he probably wasn't in charge. He wasn't the Lord Commander. But also, again, this is a guy who probably took more responsibility on than most people would. He would blame himself for things, like you said earlier, Sean, that wouldn't necessarily be... Other people wouldn't blame him for. I mean, I I think he did enough here. I think this was just the Dornish outplayed them. And Daron shouldn't have invaded Dorn in the first place. (laughs) As we said before, Barristan considers it a failure that Rhaegar and Robert and Aerys all died under his watch
1: even though there was almost, a, other than some like political maneuvering behind the scenes to prevent scenarios from coming up in the first place, which one, you can't be sure would have worked and two, aren't really in the realm of, you doesn't have the time to do that. Like, Barristan, you're supposed to be a guard outside the King's door. Hold on, I'm plotting with Littlefinger right now.
0: Like, <laughs> don't worry, I'm trying to save the King's life. Like, <laughs> Hold on, I'm plotting with Littlefinger. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Now, House Will, of all the houses to get captured by, you would not pick House Will <laughs> if you were Aemon. You would have chosen a different Dornish house. None of them probably all that good, but this would be one of, the least, one of the lesser choices because of that reputation. They're close to the border, the Stormlands, which is a very violent area, raiding back and forth for centuries, generations. It was they who chopped off the hand of Ori's Baratheon, who was Aegon the Conkatap brother w- during that first Dornish war, which was followed by the Aegon...
2: Where there's a will, there's a way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was there ever a will? By the way, Orius Baratheon was also hand. Yeah. Yes, the first ever. Aegon the Conqueror tried to avenge his half brother by sending by riding Balerion to torch their castle. But their castle is sort of embedded or close to some caves, so they pulled a crag-ass crab feeder from the TV show where they just hid in the cave. Whenever the dragon was around, they just went in the caves and the dragon couldn't do much. So the, ca- the castle got screwed up pretty bad, but it didn't really affect the people. It didn't really affect the soldiers or house wills. Um, will to live. Yeah, will to live yes. or, their, or the, the <laughs> members of the family. And then later there was another war and Oris got his revenge. Ori's chopped the hands and feet off of that Lord Will's son, who was the new Lord Will. He called it usury, you know. Interest rates. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for Eamon, perhaps, the current Lord Will wasn't quite so nasty, but he could have gotten away with it. He absolutely could have chopped off a limb and still and and had no punishment come for him because Baylor the Blessed was so determined to make peace with Dorne, he was willing to forgive a lot because his family was the aggressor. So with that in mind, Baylor walked barefoot. From King's Landing to Sunspear to apologize and to make peace. It's not clear that Aemon the Dragon Knight knew this was happening when it was happening because he's in House Will's captivity. They're not necessarily going to tell him that this is happening. They might not even know it was happening. They probably no. They would have because he would have passed by their their lands eventually. I guess, but yeah, they might not have known when he left. Probably took months to
3: walk yes, that distance. You know, right. like
0: <laughs> it was a big deal. And here's the thing: the sentiment, this is a real interesting sentiment that would have been going around Dorn. Those people who had really thought about it, the really pragmatic ones, would have been like, leave him alone. Don't kill him. This is exactly the king we want on the Iron Throne. The guy mm-hmm. that's yeah. set to make peace. We want this guy on the throne as long as possible. He's the best neighbor. We we went from murderous conquering neighbor and Forget all the Targaryens who came before that. Maybe Viserys wasn't so bad, but there's plenty of bad ones. Aegon, Magor, like You want you really want to roll the dice again? No, keep <laughs> this guy. This is the guy you want. <laughs> the pacifist looking for forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so obvious when you frame it like that. But some of these Dornishmen, they they don't think like that. They're like, what do the Ironborn say? No craven's peace. And House Will mm-hmm probably amongst the most aggressive because they're Darnish marchers. They're on the border. Look how successful and admired the Ironborn are. Oh, wait. (laughs) Who knows what Eamon knew? Who knows what the Wills were telling him? They may have been lying to him about, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to kill you. We're going to just one more day. We're going to torture you. And then this wouldn't happen. I don't know what, probably a lot of psychological torment probably didn't treat him great, but they didn't cut his limbs off. It could have been worse. It would have been an interesting time for him. We have talked about doing an episode on prisoners, and one day we will, because it's such an interesting setup for a chapter. You can't do anything. You're in prison. So all you can do is think and reflect, and that can make for some really interesting stuff. Memories, history, conflict, just characters thinking about what they could have done differently. Davos spends some great time in prison. Tyrion, Ned, I mean, there's some really good ones.
1: I've thought about this quite a lot, by the way. It's harder to think of a character who hasn't been imprisoned. Than the <laughs> characters that have, especially when you consider people like Just Sansa and Arya, who might not have like been in a jail cell, but they were really they were prisoners. Yeah, Bran yeah, was different. also yeah. like
0: when yeah. Theon took Winterfell. Like, right, Rickon yeah. with him. Yeah, Ned,
1: Jamie, some people multiple times.
0: Brian. even Jon uh, Snow yeah. was locked up. John. when he drew a sword at tried to go after Alistair, Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah.
1: And, and he was a prisoner of the wildlings when he... yeah Twice, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I, like, on, I mean, I'm telling you, on and on, almost every character has been prisoner, and most of them have been prisoners multiple times, or maybe not most, but a bunch, a That's
0: lot. A, a lot of the central yeah. characters. And sometimes it's like you could argue that they're basically a prisoner. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there's yeah. times where you're yeah, like, Arya is just... When she's a captive of the mountain, yes, she's a prisoner. And then when she's a captive of the hound, still a prisoner. Later, when he doesn't care about her running away, maybe not. But yeah, but it, mm-hmm. that's part of what makes it so interesting. By the way, Danny, was yes. Effectively a prisoner in multiple
1: scenarios. Yeah, and, like, start, yeah, starting you, like, just, from you, the start. Once
0: you start prisoner, thinking yeah. about it, yeah. Just, if
1: you just start listening
0: out characters, you're a prisoner mm-hmm. or no, like there are way less no's than yes, some- That's a great point, Sean. You're very good. Very, very true. So, <laughs> Eamon, thinking about this, like we don't know, there's a lot of holes in what we think about his personality, a lot of stuff we've projected onto his personality, but this would have a lie, this would come out. If this ever is on TV or gets written, this would be a really powerful scene or multiple scenes potentially. And you can already see why this would make for pretty good TV. <laughs> a lot of this stuff. Just is, <laughs> you've got everything. You've got great family drama. You've got a great world. Well, we already know you've got a great world. It's so many great characters. Yeah. And you've got you've got war and drama. You've got all the you've got all the stuff. <laughs> it's all the stuff that Game of Thrones does well. Maybe some people in House Will actually had a different attitude. Like some of the I, I can picture some of them tormenting him or teasing him, but maybe some of them, this is a legendary Targaryen warrior prince who's thought of as a good person. Like you might see like some kid coming to talk to him and being curious about him, like, like Davos and Shireen, right? Like that kind of thing where they're connecting in a scenario where the person in jail isn't really in jail for being a bad person, you know, and they're making connection with a kid who isn't fully understanding everything that's happening. They don't fully grasp politics and the family drama and the all the other stuff that's going on, which enables a connection to be made. Lots of room for stuff. I'm really turning, I, of all the moments for me to turn into a TV scene, it's the, the jail scene? <laughs> yep, I don't know. <laughs> Man, you had the battle, you had stuff in Dorn, like you have him in the Dornish Pass taking an arrow, but this is, yep. that's easy to imagine being cinematic, <laughs> like an ambush scene and all yeah. that stuff. I don't have to describe that regardless of what was happening in the wills dungeon, regardless of what Eamon knew about the the peace walk, the peace walk was happening. And it would have come to a head when one day they pulled him out of his cell, put him in another cell outside in a cage, hanging over a pit of vipers. What comes into his head at this point? He's like, what are they doing? Why don't they just kill me? Like, is this supposed to frighten me? I was, I'm not any more frightened than I already was. (laughs) You know, I'm already in jail. Like, I'm at your mercy. This doesn't really change anything. It's less comfortable out here in the hot sun, maybe. Are you torturing me? Why the Vipers, though? Like, what's the point? I can't get out of this cage anyway. Like, what's the deal here? If he knew Baylor was on his walk, he might figure out that he's bait. Yeah. Yeah. He might figure that out. And then he, he would start to work.
1: Out aside, he might even, aside from knowing Baylor's on a walk, realize he's bait. He might not sort, realize
0: and... who he's bait for. You're right. He might not realize it's yeah. for Baylor, but he would realize that he's bait. Yeah, and th- I think that he would realize that, that this isn't to intimidate him. It's for someone else. He's being made into a spectacle for someone else's benefit. At first, that benefit would be House Will. We're told that they laughed and sat there and watched and just joked about it because they were ordered to let Eamon go, presumably by the Martells. After Baylor walked to Dorne, he didn't just say, hey, peace and apology. He arranged the marriage of the future Daeron II, Aegon and Nereus' child, to Mariah Martell, who was the daughter of the Prince of Dorne at the time. So they also had a marriage arrangement in place at that point. So that's part of why House Will had limited... They couldn't just kill Aemon because that would throw off the peace, and they would really be in trouble with Sunspear if they just violated... This peace deal that their overlord had made. But they had some wiggle room, and this is what they did. They said, okay, well, we're gonna still be jerks about it. That's why they could have gotten away with cutting a hand off, right? Because yeah. Baylor wouldn't have thrown the whole peace deal away off of for that reason. It would have been upsetting, but they absolutely had that room to maneuver, to maim. So when Baylor comes walking up, the wills start laughing, and Amon starts to realize what's going on. He's like, my king, leave me. Don't just go. Just keep going. Your life is more important. And the Wills will be laughing because Eamon's right. They're like, yeah, his life is more important. If, if this guy dies, we all go back to war again. And that's maybe what the Wills want. But Eamon doesn't want it. So he's totally, totally willing to die. We've already seen him jump in front of a poisoned arrow. And, and it's sort of his
1: duty as a Kingsguard too. His way of protecting him at this moment is keeping himself from being saved. Yes, you know?
0: not only is it his duty, but he knows what's at stake, probably. He's probably, he had enough time to think about it. He knows that if Baylor dies here, so many more people will die. It's not the same with, with Daron, the, the arguments were a little different. Saving Daron's life might not have saved a bunch of other people's lives. Maybe it would have because of the revenge factor, but this is a lot clearer. Having the guy at the top who was a pacifist, a lot of people in Doran wanted that. So did a lot of Westerosi probably. And Prince Eamon was probably one of them. It's <laughs> probably like, yeah, the pious guy. I'm, the, I'm a pious guy. He probably liked Baylor. He might have liked Garon, too, because he was good at fighting. But I'm guessing of the two, he probably sided more with Baylor on, like, how to rule and other stuff. Which we'll see in our next episode, because the reign of Baylor is where we're going to be starting. Where we're leaving things now is kind of a cliffhanger, a cage hanger. Some mm-hmm. of you already kind of know what happens. But as we're leaving things, Baylor is approaching bare feet, hot, probably very sunburned. Which would look kind of funny because you always picture the Targaryens as very pale skinned. <laughs> his skin might have toughened up at
1: this point. He's sure. been walking around his sun for months and months Months and so. months. You're right. Do this you is on the way what happened, home, Sean. Yeah, I do. do you know, I, I do. Was know this story, I was just
2: curious.
1: Okay. I remembered all this from Baylor. Oh, okay. I, I, I remember being inspired by this. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite little bits. Another thing that would be
0: very cinematic, right? This scene on TV would be just like Baylor, like the Will's laughing and joking and being cruel, Baylor being like determined, and Eamon just being desperate to get Baylor to not die. Like, no, mm-hmm. don't die, man. If you die, hundreds of thousands more people will die, or tens of thousands, something like that. So it went from him being maybe confused to like, why are they doing this? To like, oh my God, Baylor, stay away. Just great drama, great intensity. What a moment. George R. R. Martin, you did it again. So yeah, this was only halfway through. I guess being mentioned 90 times means you can't fit into one episode. <laughs> I <know>. Go figure. <laughs> So we will be back next week with the continuing saga of Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight. We haven't even gotten to the reign of Aegon yet. We have a whole reign of Baelor, a brief reign of Viserys II, House Toyne. We've got the birth of a bunch of Blackfires. We've got all sorts of cool stuff next time around stuff that you have some familiarity with, but this is from a totally different angle, from a totally different lens. A character whose view on these things would be very different than an average view or the view from, say, Aegon the Unworthy's perspective or one of the Blackfires. So it should be awesome. We're really looking forward to it. I had so much fun writing this episode. Nina did as well. That's why we wrote so much. (laughs) Sean and Shay had some great takes, great comments, stuff that we didn't think of. You can tell I'm fired up, even though we're uh, wrapping it up here.
2: Uh, let's record part two right now. Let's <laughs> go <laughs> right
0: for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I actually have some more to write for it. I, once I When I realized it was two, I stopped focusing on the second half as much and, and just put the rest of my effort into part one. But it is mostly done. <laughs> Trivia question. The question again was, Loris, Jamie, and Eamon, the Dragon Knight, were among the youngest ever to join the Kingsguard. The youngest ever was... Roland Darklin.
3: Oh yeah. Mm.
0: Um, okay. House Darklin, who is the h- house that has supplied the most ever Knights of the King's Guard. I think it's seven, which is way the most.
2: We did get someone who correctly guessed that. Oh nice. great. Who
0: yeah. is the good guesser? I'll shout them out.
2: Oh, uh, can I scroll up to the top? Oh, I think it was where is the person who guessed it? it was Thomas Dalk guessed first and then Krieger Dammerung said they agreed. They were just shortly after, but it was Thomas Dalk with a CQ at the end.
0: Very nice. Good job, y'all. And there, as usual, I like to make the trivia question pretty hard. One that sometimes I've got a trivia question. How
1: many Starks have been on the King's Guard? Big fat zero.
0: Zero? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Zero. Partly because of the knighthood thing, I think. Like Sandor, remember. I thought there was a one.
1: I thought, but I don't know who. I I think Sandor
0: broke that tradition of being the first one to not be a knight. There may have been one before that, but I don't think so. And not that Stark can't be knights, it's just not very common. I can't name. A Stark that was knighted. There's probably been a few. There's definitely Northerners that get knighted occasionally, but usually they, they worship the old gods. So they just, it's just a title they don't take on there. They can be just as, yeah. they can fight just as well as knights. Remember Bran being obsessed with that? He's like, yeah, but how many of them yeah. are knights? And Lewin's like, there's no difference. <laughs> like the Northerners, yeah. <laughs> the Northern warriors on horseback are the same. They just aren't called that. He's like, yeah, but how many knights? <laughs> <laughs> Bran was very obsessed
1: with that. So, Bran might, if Bran had gotten what he wanted, the, the way he wanted, he would have been the
0: first. Yeah. He might have been the first Northern Kingsguard. Start Kingsguard. Yeah. That's, yeah. What the, that's what that quote said. He's, he wanted to be a Kingsguard. Yeah. And his, his father wasn't, certainly wasn't saying no to him at that point. It, we don't know what Ned thought of that duty. And he probably, probably, probably would have thought highly of it. You know, it's not like he needed, not like Ned was expecting him to inherit at the time with, with Rob around. Uh, So next week, of course, is part two. We already had our poll for the episode that would normally have been next week, but has been bumped a week. I titled the poll Judgment Day slash Night slash Dawn slash Dusk, because it's more of an investigative Mm -hmm. questioning episode. The topics were, was it murder, which is reviewing mm, suspicious deaths throughout history and in the main story and weighing in on whether it was murder or not. Hidden identities, which is uh, delving into certain characters whose appearances We don't know who they were necessarily, like the hooded man in Winterfell, for example. And who lives, who dies? Our guess is on who's going to make it through the series. But the winner was trial by theory. We're going to review theories that are out there in the fandom, both of the crazy and not so crazy variety. We'll have fun with a little both. Many of them will come suggested by y'all. So if you have theories you want us to talk about, start letting us know and we'll weigh in on them. We'll judge them for their quality, their likelihood to be true, and stuff like that. It'll be a lot of fun, a little bit different style episode, but that'll be in two weeks. And those other topics will have a chance to get made one day if you sign up for Patreon and vote for them. You can push them in the direction you like. That is how that works. We have a poll almost every week. We also occasionally have polls for the scripted episodes that are available to the higher-level patrons. We mentioned quite a few of our other episodes in this one. Dare on the Young Dragon. Dark Sister, The Lost Valyrian Steel, Aegon the Unworthy in our Blackfire series, The Free City of Lys, probably some others. That's a good place to start if you want to check those out. If you want to stay immersed, if you're feeling sad that this episode is over and you want to stay in Westeros, well, those are some great choices for you. A lot of them even deal with the same time. Thanks to everyone who came and checked us out live. Appreciate the thoughts from Nina. Appreciate the live comments and questions. Thanks, as always, to Sean and Shea. If you joined us on Patreon or through a Spotify subscription, we thank you very much for the financial support. One of the most important things going on to keep the show going. We do have sponsors, but it is Patreon and the Spotify subscriptions that matter the most because that is the consistent every month thing that we can count on, whereas sponsors are here and there. We get them sometimes sometimes we don't. Can't rely on that. It's all great. So you guys are the anchor, the core the thing that matters the most. So we appreciate that support in whatever form it comes, whichever site you choose to support us on, whether it's a one-time donation through our website or a recurring sponsorship or honestly a subscription through Patreon or Spotify.
2: Honestly, the other great way to support us if you don't feel that you have the money to donate, I think it's just as valuable to to promote us, to share the word, you know, not just like on social media, but if you have people in your life that would be interested. I think that is also just as valuable to us.
1: I agree. Wear your History of shirt. Yeah, get a History,
2: yeah, that's true. Get a History of shirt, tell people, like I think like, yeah, if you, which also costs money, but the point is, I, I also appreciate the support and sharing the, the show, I suppose, just as much as I appreciate it and the monetary value.
0: I agree with that. I think there's just something a little more special about someone being genuinely enthusiastic enough to tell their friends about us. That's that, something about that just makes me feel that's more about what it's about. We need the money to live, you know, but I care about the respect and regard more, you know, on an emotional level. So, yeah, that does mean more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks as well to Joey, Jesse, and Bran for our music, our intros, our various intros and and things that we use depending on which format we're going with on any given Sunday or even occasionally other days. Thanks as well to Michael Klarfeld for the maps in our original video intro. We love you, Michael. And we'll see you all again next week for part two and more. You know what to do in the meantime. Valar, re-read us.